something fresh and exciting. Somebody with a sock personality that'll sweep people right off their feet. Where is he? What is he up to? What other terrors can he unleash at will? Calling your genial host, renowned writer, art collector, and teller of strange tales. What fiendish power did he possess? Where did he come from? Who is this man? the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Band Radio Network for a Friday. Talk radio the way our founders intended. America, where if the sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory is too senile to stand trial, he's certainly too senile to be president, maybe? Day 1121. People the Eric in America, say hello to EZ. What's up? Good afternoon to you. She put the heat in heaven. Hello. Double H is here. Dark History Hour 3. Uh, We've got a special guest after that. Uh, former CIA operative J. Michael Waller. Uh, he has written a book called Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains Subverted by the Left. He'll join us. I'm excited about that. Uh, and then uh, movie man Mike, top of the final hour of the program, and remarks, remarks everywhere. Boy, oh boy, was Biden mad yesterday. <laughs> uh, I, you know, they called the this pressure, well, gave no real reason, uh, and it was indeed a response to the special prosecutor's report that said that Biden is... Uh, a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, and that perhaps the, a, a, he, a jury would find him that way, and that's why they shouldn't charge him. <laughs> yeah. Um, couldn't remember his son, how, when his son died. Uh, in this clip I'm about to play you, he couldn't remember where the, the, where the Rosary Beach came from. Uh, he... He said that Khalil El Sisi was the president of Mexico, not Egypt. And towards the end, he started to walk out and he came back and he flipped on Israel. Said, you know, Israel's response has gone over the top. Uh, and I don't know. It, it's just, if you're not convinced now <clears throat> of a two tier justice system, I do. This is his very own DOJ. Robert Herr is a DOJ, empl- uh, you know, employee. Uh, his very own DOJ, they say, yeah, he willfully took and kept secret documents. And by the way, they were somewhere top secret. He said they weren't, but they're uh, classified documents. Uh, here's part of it. He retained these documents. In addition, I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. He was about to cry, I think. I think he was trying to cough up some he tears. He was trying to muster some up. He didn't have them. How in the hell dare he raise that? How in the hell dare he? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... <laughs> Oops. Our Lady of something or other. <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> the the, uh, the press wasn't kind to him either, and they, they shouldn't have been. But he did, and here's here's CNN chronicling. They're actually fact checking him, which I'm. It's very refreshing to see them fact check a Democrat. Uh, I honestly think last night was the first time you saw blood in the water. They, they were full-on sharks, every one of them, yelling out questions to them, really getting at them. Here's CNN's fact check. While one thing that President Biden said is basically that he stored the documents in filing cabinets that could be locked. Let's listen. All the stuff that was in my home was in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. We knew... We've known that it was in a box on the floor in a garage next to his Corvette since since the day it happened. Yeah, those were the initial reports. Now he wants you to think that everything was locked up. Daniel? Just just not true, John. Uh, this report from the special counsel includes photos. Those photos include shots of a box uh, just sitting in President Biden's Delaware garage. The special counsel described it as a badly damaged box sitting amid household detritus. So there was some material that was in cabinets. Who uses detritus? That guy, he, he got his, uh, it was on his word calendar today. <laughs> uh, locked or lockable, as the president said, but all of it certainly not. And that open, unsealed damage box included, according to the special counsel, highly sensitive, top secret material about the war in Afghanistan. Okay, another claim that President Biden made, none of the documents were highly classified. Let's listen. Um, it was lie after lie last night. None of it was high classified. Didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners? None of that. Daniel? Daniel? That claim that he didn't have any material that was quote-unquote high classified is also not true, John. The special counsel's report says that the president possessed multiple highly classified documents that were indeed marked as being highly classified documents, including some marked as top secret slash SCI, sensitive compartmented information. That is a very high level of classification. For example, special counsel Her uh, discussed two top secret documents about Afghanistan found in that open, unsealed damage box in the garage, one of which Her said, contains highly sensitive info about military programs and another that contains info about sensitive intelligence and sources and methods. Now, it's not clear, John, if any of those Biden documents had those colored borders we saw on classified docs that former President Trump had, which I think is what President Biden was referring to uh, when he talked about red around the corners. But still, whatever coloring these documents had, the special counsel says they were clearly marked as highly classified. And then I should add, her also said that investigators' analysis of Biden's own handwritten notes from his time as vice president showed that these notebooks also contained highly classified info, though those were not marked. And her said a sampling of 37 excerpts found that, quote, eight are top secret with sensitive compartmented information, seven of which include information concerning human intelligence sources, plus six others that were top secret. Jeez. Uh, in a box on the floor. I mean, it was lie. You know you're being gaslit now because we know that even the left is is picking apart the lies that he and then instead of just brushing them off oh that's the yeah it's no big deal oh that oh he oh that he he miss speaks all the time and about world leaders and well, i mean midway through he completely changed the story and blames his staff for doing it all right not even taking any responsibility whatsoever very angry here oh, thank you and i'll take some questions oh boy hold on what the hell did i just do 
Uh, oh, there it is. His report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. What does that mean? That's, uh, that's, that's, what, that's, not, that's not even, that didn't even make any sense. Yeah. Maybe his memory's so bad he let him speak he forgot that Peter Ducey is a bulldog of a reporter. Yeah, I think that's what he's trying to say, that he, oh, I, I should never even let you speak anymore. That's why, yeah. you know, that's how bad my memory is. Gotten worse, Mr. So, President? My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. What does your memory have to do with, <clears throat> well, he hasn't done dick, we know that. Uh, what is your, what, his memory, I mean, in the long run affects his job. But you can't say, look, look at all the things I've done. That That's a guy with a good memory who does things. He Honestly, what we saw last night is a textbook of what, if you've ever been to any retirement community or ever had a family member that has started to slip into dementia, and you start saying, hey, you know, do you remember you put your keys over here? And they laugh. oh, I always remember I put my keys over there. Yeah, yeah, they get a little upset. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we found them in the refrigerator this morning, Dad. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. President, Mr. President, voters have concerns about your age. How are you going to assuage them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some of you. Mr. President, Mr. President, do you take responsibility for at least being careless with classified material? I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. There's, it goes in and points out. Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but my staff. But my staff. Mr. President, there he says, they're in his garage. <clears throat> and later he states that they're all locked up in a locking filing cabinet. Yeah. Then also he states he knew exactly what he had taken, and then he starts. Then he tries to tell everybody that uh, his it's, staff took yeah. it. He had no idea what they were doing. And you've got sensitive documents with uh, that reveal human sources and military information about Afghanistan in a box, in a garage, or in your den or wherever, in a home that, uh, for many years you shared with your crack-addled son. This is a quote from the report. We also expect many jurors to be struck by the place where in, uh, the Afghanistan documents were ultimately found, in Biden's Delaware home, in a badly damaged box in the garage, near a collapsed dog crate and a dog bed, a Zappos box, an empty bucket, a broken lamp with, wrapped with duct tape, potting soil, and synthetic firewood. Yeah. At least when they were at Trump's, they were, <clears throat> you know, locked up, and the, the, the place is swarming with Secret Service agents. Uh, that home for uh, for a time, I imagine, was swarmed with uh, hookers and a bunch of people doing coke. <clears throat> um, there's also uh, in the report, Robert Hur, the special prosecutor, <clears throat> reports that the Biden attorneys read the report and before it was it went public, and then they suggested that they, they to her uh, they 
suggested he go back and revisit his descriptions of Biden and revise them, wink, wink, which he did not do. Here are the key takeaways from it. Will he, the, the report found, the investigation found he willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after leaving uh, a vice president office. Classified documents about the war in Afghanistan are a box in the garage. Uh, he repeatedly disclosed classified information he wrote uh, he wrote in notebooks to Mark Zwanitzer, Zwanitzer his ghostwriter, uh, during one February 2017 conversation. Biden told Zwanitzer, quote, I found all the classified stuff downstairs at his home in Virginia. Zwanitzer deleted recordings of his interviews with Biden after learning that her's appointment uh, for special counsel was coming up. He displayed significant limitations in memory, both in his 2017 interview with with Zwanitzer and his interviews with investigators. Among other lapses, Biden did not remember when his, he was vice president, did not remember, or even within several years of when his son, Bo died. Uh, if brought to trial, he would likely present himself at, to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. My question is, even if you say you can't take him to court, why are they not charging this ghostwriter who clearly obstructed justice by deleting uh, evidence for the president, for uh, Biden at that time period? Well, because he's uh, protected by Biden, you know. He was asked if he, uh, he, he said, uh, you said in the past <clears throat> that you believe you're there. There are many other Democrats who could beat Donald Trump. Why does it have to be you? He said, because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States. Yeah. Woo. Boy, oh boy, are you ever, buddy. Uh, here is uh, Elise Stefanik. <clears throat> I added to CNN. At least they're uh, having Republicans on, which is kind of a new thing. It's that, the, it's that what, what's her name? K- uh, Caitlin uh, uh, Brunette. Oh, yeah. Real, real bitch. That doesn't give Trump the authority to just take documents and keep them in a ball. This was a raid on Mar-a-Lago, Caitlin, versus working with Joe Biden and saying he willfully broke the law but refusing to prosecute. But it that's is selective my point. prosecution. That's that my point because Trump did not hand over the documents no, for more than a year. Jim Trustee could tell you from that. The you just, DOJ, from team. Joe Biden's DOJ, ordered by Merrick Garland not to prosecute against Joe Biden, even though it specifically found that he willfully broke the law. It was an and independent special And on top of that, the reason, the reason why they're not prosecuting is because they say he's mentally unfit to put in front uh, to to pursue that that is unheard of and it is selective prosecution and it's why people inherently know across this country if your last name happens to be biden or clinton you get to live by a different set of rules than that's true i mean if you, if you cannot see and, and i would imagine that this would exonerate trump because he, he he could not declassify anything, Joe Biden. He, as the vice president, he did not have the power. President Trump did have the power. He was a president. And what is the vice president doing with classified documents in his garage that he wasn't even, shouldn't even have in his possession at all? Or the ones that were before that, that were when he was in the Senate. Right, yeah. There's some documents that, that, are, that he's had for 20 years, that 30 years. It would be even harder to explain why they were in his garage. Because <sighs> that would have meant he had to have stolen them from the skiff. Yes. Uh, they're they're f- just pissed at her. Now they start coming after him uh, for his characterizations of Biden having a mental illness. They said he went too far beyond his mandate of determining whether the president or his aides committed crimes. Well, you have to talk to the man. 
<laughs> right? You have to interview the man as part of that investigation, and it, you happen to notice that the guy has a zip for memory. They cast the report as a partisan shot from a Republican prosecutor, albeit uh, one assigned to the task force by a Biden-appointed Attorney General Merrick Garland. Jim Messina, that ran Obama's re-election campaign, said it's a partisan document. You got a Republican person here who can't find anything to charge the president with, so he's taking a few partisan political shots. He says he could charge him. Yeah. He says I could. We could take this to court right now, but I don't think a court will. Well, a jury's going to look at him like an idiot, right? A simpleton. So I, th- I think he got the rule. He got the. He got the. You know, he got the memo. Listen, we don't. You know, he's a Biden, so uh, he, he, we're not going to charge him. So make sure you put that in the document. And he goes, ah, sure. And then he said. F you guys, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a couple of punches on the way out. Let the let America know that they're not the only ones that think that this man might have a dementia problem. Yeah, that, I mean that's 100 what he did. Uh, he knew that there were stuff going on. He said it. That he willfully took and 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 contained uh, documents that he did not have the right to have, and he could be charged for it, but he's not going to be. And we're going to take the, the low road that he's a uh, feeble old man, that that's why they're not going to charge him, and not the fact that, that they took him to uh, any court case. They put it in D.C., and immediately a D.C. jury yeah. would say, no, no, of course not. Biden yeah. couldn't do it wrong. Here's Dan Goldman. He claims that uh, he doesn't know what that guy's talking about. Biden is sharper than anyone he's ever spoken to. Lapses that President Biden is described as having in this report this is not the first time anybody's raised issues of President Biden's acuity. And in fact, twice this week, President Biden referenced uh, European leaders' conversations he had with them in 2021 when both those European leaders had long been dead. He confused Macron with Mitterrand. He confused Helmut Kohl with Angela Merkel. Uh, are you really acting as if there's nothing to these issues or these concerns? Well, I, I saw from the White House counsel that they disputed this uh, recollection of the interview. And I will tell you, Jake, uh, I was in Israel on October 7th, as you know, and President Biden was nice enough to call me. And I can tell you, this was the day before that interview, I can tell you he was sharper than anyone I've spoken to about a very complex geopolitical urgent issue. Sharper than anyone he's talked to. That's sharp. <laughs> Yeah, he talks to a lot of people. and Yeah. I mean, in the end, uh, her got a masterful performance because basically he said, I don't think uh, he's got the mental capacity to be tried for this. And then when they came back and said, oh, I've got the me- great mental capacity, then they, why? And he's like, okay, then why can't I charge you for this? That type of thing. Oh, yeah. He caught them completely he, he, in that. Biden ought to come back. Oh, okay, I'll, go ahead and charge me. That. I'm, I'm, I'm not senile. Uh I mean, the, the, the flub about Mexico, you know, calling Khalil, uh, the president of Egypt, El, El Sisi, uh, the president of Mexico, is a huge, I mean, he did it, once again, that's the third, fourth time in f- as many days that he has used the wrong world leader's name or the, had the wrong country or, you know. Yeah, the whole uh, president of Mexico won't let supplies over the border was uh, just insane. I loved it. I, I missed it the first time, but. He when he walked away and he came back to do the comments about Gaza, they had another camera angle where he was walking away. Yeah, and there were like three like White House staffers that were looking around the corner, and they were like trying to get him to come back. And then the moment he turned away, they all three were like jumped behind the back behind the, the camera. Yeah, then he came back and flipped on Israel. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe the, maybe he wants to let the uh, you know the ceasefire crowd know that he's on their side now. Maybe get a vote back. Yeah, they were trying so hard. They were like, "All right, Joe, come on, come back here." Uh, here is uh, oh, that you, it's so predictable. What the? Oh, I'll play it anyway. MSNBC yesterday. Doesn't quoted where the report refers to him as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Uh, what is the word elderly doing there? Uh, and poor memory. What is the test of that? <laughs> what is the word elderly doing there? He's got 81 years old. How dare they use elderly? Might that be Donald Trump saying, I don't recall 400 times under oath in the same <laughs> deposition? Is that a good? They cannot talk about Biden's special counsel uh, investigation report. They cannot talk about the uh, they have to immediately turn to Trump. Immediately. Test of it. Um, the, the idea that witnesses over a 40 year discussion. 40-year discussion, don't remember everything, or that someone who graduates from college in June can't tell you where the diploma is in September, uh, that seems to be a condition that, that this uh, special prosecutor doesn't understand in the human mind. Uh, so I, I'm going to be fascinated when I can get into... Uh, How hard is it to understand that... I mean, those are pretty important dates. I remember the date my mother died. I remember the day my brother died. My grandmother died. I remember. Uh, I I remember when I started this job. I remember the the when I started and ended the last job. I mean, these are important dates. And you also do not make that your entire personality, too. Right. Uh, there's no point where you you come on every day and and talk about uh, you know things are this way because my mother died. Uh, and you know this this my mother died. My mother died. This my mother died. And I'm, I'm the way I am because my mother died. Uh, you don't do all that stuff, which if that's what he does, you would think he would know the exact date, time, where he was, where his son was, everything about that. Right. I mean, the, his whole, I mean, this has been, the Gaffs thing has been on his list since before he had brain surgery. Yeah. Um, and this just, that, he didn't have dementia, he just had Gaffs. Want to get back, <clears throat> some squirrely uh, White House uh, representative, Ian Sams. <clears throat> delivers a fantastic word salad and happens to blame all of this on the, how because of the fraughtness of Biden uh, because of the Hamas attacks. Yeah. And a fellow by the name of Bill McKibben happens to think that Biden is old, but that's actually his superpower. <laughs> Hang on, it's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. Military dogs keep our troops safe by sniffing out bombs and IEDs. Yet when they retire, they're too often left overseas. American Humane brings these heroes home and back with their handlers. To help, visit AmericanHumane.org. Joy Behar, uh, of course, thinks President Biden is just fantastic. And by the way, before I continue with this, why do, would he want to remember the day that his son died? Why? You want to block that out of your head. You want to remember no, when he, he was I, alive. I, I, so I've, wait. You, you don't want to remember it. You just remember it. Yeah, it's, it's seared into your brain. <laughs> She's an, an idiot. Uh, Tucker and Putin. I'll let me get this 
Ian guy out of the way first. Uh, he here he's asking him. Uh, he's been asked why the White House believes this was politically motivated. Do we know that Robert Herr is a Republican? I mean, he's a DOJ employee. He was appointed by Merrick Garland. Uh, yeah, he's not. They, people have tried to push that he is, but from the things I saw, he was not uh, fairly un, unpolitical from yeah. the, most of the things I read from. By saying that this is politically motivated, not just gratuitous, but politically motivated, does this not also sow distrust with the public? And- I, I reject that. I, I reject that question. You see this, and it's in the report, the letter that the, the president's lawyer and the White House counsel's office sent to the special counsel to talk about the Department of Justice norms and policies that they see as being violated by some of the comments and remarks made in the report. And so, you know, I think that that's a false equivalence kind of question uh, because what we have argued and what we continue to say and believe is that you're not supposed to make these sorts of things according to Justice Department policy. We, the president, when he ran, and you guys all know this because you heard this, talked about how important it was to restore the rule of law. <laughs> and he understands that. And he talked about this last night, to MJ's point, about the appointment of the special counsel and sort of how he felt about that. Um, you know, this is a president who is committed to the, to restoring those norms. And I think when we object to some of the gratuitousness in the comments. That- Wait, it's the uh, D- DOJ norm is to not mention that the subject of your interview has a terrible memory, a faulty memory. I mean, that is part of being an investigation. If you talk to somebody and they can't seem to remember anything, how are they a credible witness in any way? Right. <laughs> that you're asking about, you know, we're, and you hear me talk about the former attorney general and other people who've made those comments, you know, they are criticizing that this does not follow those norms. Hmm. Mm-mm. Uh, here he is once again. He's not that good, but he's better than KJP. You said a moment ago that the president was responding to inaccurate information when he claimed uh, last night that all the stuff in my home was behind locked filing cabinets. Is he entirely clear now at this point where all the documents were discovered? And does he now know that his statement about locked filing cabinets is false? The, The report lays out in... 400 pages of detail, all of the evidence and all of the review that they conducted in looking into this matter. Uh, The president made sure that all of the classified documents that were found were returned promptly to the government, which is what you're supposed to do. Blah, 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 blah. That's not what the question was. Yeah, the question was, does he he fully understand now? Because the rest of America read it, at least that part, that it was in in a badly worn box on the floor next to some fertilizer and some old shoes and... You know, and a, and a taped up lamp and, a, you know, not, Honestly, not locked away. It in looked a, like a, a box had been rifled through like 50 times. Yeah, it looked like the box had been used uh, for probably the last 30 years for various uh, things. You know, like maybe it held some motor oil at one point. Uh, it was just. You know, what I, so what happens next? You think this is the beginning? This is the uh, because I, I got to tell you, I would have said Dick. About that, I wouldn't have come out and and said anything about that report. Uh, he, yeah, they sh- well, they should at least give it a couple of days. They should have never sent him out last night, uh, late at night, uh, already past when he is normally ever doing any types of things. Not a recorded right. uh, speech where he's got a teleprompter in front of him. Yeah, and they brought the press in, which is uh, 
pretty unbelievable. I mean, they have to. There, there was another, I think somebody else asked that question today about the fact that uh, is he going to be in front of the press a lot more You know, because he hasn't been. I think it was KJP. She said, oh, he's been out there all the time, Ugh. which we have. Uh, it's, we have recorded history. He's one of the least interviewed presidents of all time. Yes. Uh, here is Paul Begala, who is... Uh, He's pretty much admitting defeat on CNN uh, after Biden's terrible Particularly speech. swing voters in the center. Paul, how much Democratic bedwetting do you think there will be? <laughs> I, I bring up the term everyone laughs. It's a term that is used. It's, it's a political is, term of art. And it's used hey, in Democratic big D politics. Yeah, it's what true. people say about Democrats. I'm not saying anything that's offensive to Paul's you know, <laughs> delicate young, sense young, of delicate yeah. ears. <laughs> So how much of that will there be? And if you are the White House, how do you assuage said bedwetting? Oh, yeah. Look, uh, I'm a Biden supporter. I, I, and I slept like a baby last night. I woke up every two hours crying and went to bed. Uh, this, is, this is terrible for Democrats. And anybody with a functioning brain knows that. Um, but here's what you do. Instead of calling a press conference saying, I really am sharp, you attack the other guy. You know, the, the, Joe Biden gave the strategy in 2012. He was, I remember, he was vice president. And he said, don't compare us to the almighty, compare us mm-hmm. to the alternative. So everything with Biden has to be not, I'm great, but the other guy's really damaging, dangerous, a threat. You know, the, 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 this is an unlovely. John's exactly right, right? This is going to be a really rough, ugly, unpleasant campaign. <laughs> well, that does sound like a de- Democrat strategy. When they attack you, don't attack the, them back. Attack the other guy. Don't try to defend yourself. Just, you know, Trump bad. I don't know. I, to me, it looked like that they sent him out. They knew what was going to happen. Uh, they knew he was going to get beaten up. And we saw the the first steps of them starting to remove him out of there. And all you've seen today uh, is, one, a big glowing tweet that the White House sent out about how much they love having Kamala Harris out there. And then Biden's uh, one sent out one saying how much they love Kamala Harris and they can't do it without her. And then they sent Kamala Harris to do a bunch of speeches today. So, yeah, I, what's what, that all about? I'm, that's what I think they're looking towards. They're going to look towards now that either they're going to try to run her or they're afraid at some point they're going to finally pull the 25th Amendment and come after him. Do you think? Oh, is he cabinet? We'll come together. Uh, I think you oh you prior to the end of this term. Possibly. Wow. Uh I figured they would let him finish it. Oh, it's uh, getting worse. I mean it's one thing if it was gaffes. He was surprisingly uh, alert last night during the speech, except for the two or three, except for the the bold faced lies and the and the F ups about you know, Mexico is Egypt, Egypt is Mexico. Uh you know, he was alert. He wasn't you know, yes, you know. And it was what eight 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 p.m. Yeah. Well, I believe it's the beginning of the the end. You're right. I think it's where it's the uh, the impetus. I believe. Uh, so I know the Tucker Putin interview has been seen. I don't know almost two hundred million times. Um. I thought it was a, he asked uh, bold questions. He, um, he asked questions of Putin that I don't think other journalists would ask him. 
but all in all, he wasn't. I don't think it was a softball interview by any means, but it wasn't uh, uh, earth shattering. No, I mean he was pretty straightforward with his questioning. Uh, he did ask about the uh, Wall Street Journal reporter, yeah, uh, which a lot of people didn't think he was going to bring up. And he, he said, "He's you, will you release him as a sign of your decency?" I've got the audio here, trying to find it, and and we'll take him home with us. What other journalist would suggest to Putin? That he let an American out of his prison while you're while you're in the Kremlin. That you that he let an American out who's been accused of spying, and they'll take him home with them on their plane. Yeah, and he had pretty good reasoning on why they did still have him there. One, the U.S. hasn't offered much to to get this guy back because of the fact he was caught stealing confidential information about the government. You can call him a spy or you can call him a journalist that got caught with stuff that he shouldn't have had, but he uh, definitely did some things wrong. Did he have some stuff? Yeah. Well, well I mean. Again, according to Putin, so you have to take by him by his word. But that's he said. He, you uh, classified uh, paraphrasing, but he kind of said you classify him as a spy. You may not consider him like uh, espionage, doing uh, uh, spy things, but he was in possession of material, classified material that he should not have had when we captured him. Here's that audio. I think. I just got to ask you one last question, and that's about Evan Gershkovitz, who's the Wall Street Journal reporter. He's 32, and he's been in prison for almost a year. And I just want to ask you directly if, as a sign of your decency, you would be willing to release him to us and we'll bring him back to the United States. We have done so many gestures of goodwill out of decency that I think we have run out of them. We have never seen anyone reciprocate to us in a similar manner. However, in theory, we can say that we do not rule out that we can do that if our partners take reciprocal steps. What makes this difference is the guy's obviously not a spy, he's a kid, and maybe he was breaking your law in some way, but he's not a super spy, and everybody knows that, and he's being held hostage in exchange, which is true. With respect, it's true, and everyone knows it's true. So maybe he's in a different category. Maybe it's not fair to ask for you know somebody else in exchange for letting him out. Maybe it degrades Russia to do that. He was receiving classified confidential information, and he did it covertly. I mean, this is a 32-year-old He committed something different. He's not just a journalist. I reiterate, he's a journalist who was secretly getting confidential information. I do not rule out that the person you refer to, Mr. Gershkovitz, may return to his motherland. By the end of the day, it does not make any sense to keep him in prison in Russia. I don't think... uh... I don't think Dan Rather or Barbara Walters would have asked him to release an American and so they could take him home with him. I mean, they may be, but and, and, they and, didn't. And then kind of argue with them. You yeah, know, I mean, he's only 22 or 32. He's not a super spy. Uh, <clears throat> I thought this is kind of gangster of Putin. Uh, they're talking about who's responsible for blowing up the uh, Nord Stream. With the backing of whom? With the backing of CIA, of course. The organization you wanted to join back in the day, as I understand. We should thank God they didn't let you in. Although, it is a serious organization. I understand. (laughs) That was a uh, stab in the back, I think. I didn't know uh, Tucker wanted to be in the CIA. I've never read that anywhere. Yeah, I guess he had applied for it before he went into journalism. Putin knew about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, again, he was he's an old KGB agent. He's got a folder on everybody in the entire world. 
You think he's got a folder on Tucker? Oh, yeah. yeah if there's if you're a, a mover and a shaker in the world, he's got a folder on you. Uh Okay, we just played that one. Here is uh, so here he's, he said that the war could be over in weeks if America would stop sending money to Ukraine and weapons to Ukraine. Here he says the war, though. Also, I mean, I just want to. I guess I want to ask one more question, which is, and maybe you don't want to say so for strategic reasons, but are you worried that what's happening in Ukraine could? lead to something much larger and much more horrible and how motivated are you just to call the US government and say let's come to terms come on I already said that we did not refuse to talk we're willing to negotiate it is the western side and Ukraine is obviously a satellite state of the US it is evident. I do not want you to take it as if I'm looking for a strong word or an insult, but we both understand what is happening. The financial support, 72 billion US dollars was provided. Germany ranks second, then other European countries come. Dozens of billions of US dollars are going to Ukraine. There's a huge influx of weapons. In this case, you should tell the current Ukrainian leadership to stop and come to negotiating table, rescind this absurd decree. We did not refuse. Sure, but you already said it. I didn't think you meant it as an insult because you already said correctly, it's been reported that Ukraine was prevented from negotiating a peace settlement by the former British Prime Minister acting on behalf of the Biden administration. So of course they're a satellite, big countries control small countries, that's not new. And that's why I asked about dealing directly with the Biden administration, which is making these decisions, not President Zelensky of Ukraine. Well, if the Zelensky administration in Ukraine refused to negotiate, I assume they did it under the instruction from Washington. If Washington believes it to be the wrong decision, let it abandon it. Let it find a delicate excuse so that no one is insulted. Let it come up with a way out. It was not us who made this decision, it was them. So let them go back on it, that is it. However, they made the wrong decision and now we have to look for a way out of the situation to correct their mistakes. He seems to think that, I don't know what he wants, some land, some territory, more, you know, like Crimea. I mean, that's, I wish that Tucker had asked that question. I mean, think that would have been a, a very interesting one of uh, what would take it to what would be the demands if you did take it to uh, a, a discussion table, because that right now we honestly don't know. Well, we've been told multiple times that there has been talks to get people to uh, peace talks and they can't seem to uh, for whatever reason, somebody keeps blocking those. Uh, be it us, be it UK, be it NATO, be whoever is causing them not to go to the, the two right. uh, peace talks. But we don't know what you don't. If you don't bring people to the table, you have no idea what they're what everyone's fighting for. Uh, okay, so if you had to come up with one reason why they're keeping Zelensky 
from uh, from negotiating, what would it be? We like war. War is good for us. We were out of war. Uh, we used uh, Biden used that uh, escape from Afghanistan to be like his first thing to really overthrow what Trump had done. Look, I got everybody out like he said he was going to do. It was an absolute disaster. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Uh, but when we were out of there, quote, all out of there, we were no longer in conflict anymore. All our big weapons manufacturers went, okay, well, we're still making bombs. What do you guys want us to do now? Yeah, where are we bombing next? To use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the U.S. political leadership. The dollar is the cornerstone of the United States power, but they won't stop printing. What does the debt of $33 trillion tell us? Uh, Mr. Putin, 34 now. As soon as the political leadership decided to use the U.S. dollar as a tool of political struggle, a blow was dealt to this American power. I would not like to use any strong language, but it is a stupid thing to do and a grave mistake. Look at what is going on in the world. Even the United States allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. Seeing this, everyone starts looking for ways to protect themselves. But the fact that the United States applies restrictive measures to certain countries, such as placing restrictions on transactions, freezing assets, etc., causes grave concern and sends a signal to the whole world. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? What are you doing? You are cutting yourself off. All experts say this. Ask any intelligent and thinking person in the United States what the dollar means for the U.S. You're killing it with your own hands. Hmm. Um. Here is the... Uh, <laughs> Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have, do you have, uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, thank you, personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Do, do you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected, who is interested and who is capable of doing it. But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, and it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the U.S., CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work, 
but it is cost prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened and even American analysts talk about it. Yeah, I think everyone immediately assumed that it was the U.S. No big question. I mean, he's he's not wrong. You have to have the capabilities to do that type of thing. Yeah, that was for everyone's first. Well, Ukraine did it. Not so sure Ukraine has, you know, the capabilities to to, to deep diving and explode. I don't know. Maybe they do, but I doubt it. Uh, all right. Oh, when we get back, um, I don't know. The Minnesota's been paying attention to what's going on in the United States. The horror in New York City. With migrants, oh, they got a, a an armed, dangerous man roaming around. They got a cash reward out from him. He's an illegal alien with a gun, roaming around in New York City. Uh, we see the anger from Chicago, the people that you know are are pissed. Their neighborhoods are being taken over. The benefits are being cut, uh, all for these illegals. Um, and Minnesota just decided, you know, we really would like to be a sanctuary state. And get us some of that illegal action. <laughs> That's next. Hang on. It's the Shannon Burke Show on... Oh, wait. See, I didn't have some of my stuff right there. It almost got me. Um, all right. We'll do it. Uh, is it the uh, legislature that, that... Or it's the, the governor as well? Uh, it's Yeah, it's a democratic... Uh, it's yeah. a collective democratic... Why would anybody in their right mind go, Hey, this sounds like a great idea. Um, I mean, I think of all places, Minnesota may need some like more people. It's Minnesota, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. All right, hang on. It's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. WFYY HD3 Windermere, WXUS HD3, W266DY Tonellan, WZLB Valparaiso, Florida Man Radio. Democratic state rep Sandra Feist or Feist of New Brighton says the bill they're presenting there uh, prevents local law enforcement from cooperating with federal immigration authorities. Uh, Omar Fateh of the Minneapolis is the bill's sponsor in the Senate. A bill that would make Minnesota what they some call a sanctuary state that just says we are announcing now that we will not comply with federal ICE agencies. On the surface of it, it's illegal. Um, and I really thought, I mean, well, I'd never heard of a sanctuary city prior to President Trump taking office. Have you? No, because no, it didn't exist. Right. Um, but things started getting tough, and uh, Trump cracked down with ICE and uh, was going after some criminals. And some judges that had illegal aliens in their court for uh, for hearings and such um, would be notified that ICE agents would be waiting outside the courthouse and the, they'd scuttle about the back door. Uh, they said the federal government can and will continue to enforce federal immigration laws in Minnesota. The bill simply ensures that it is not the responsibility of the state to perform that role. What? It's a highly technical bill intended to create clarity and ensure state and local resources are not wasted by enforcing broken federal immigration laws. Um. But that's, if you make it a sanctuary state, 
So they want to make a sanctuary state, but not have to pay for it? Yeah, they're basically telling them they want people to come to Minnesota, but that they're not going to. They're going to enforce the laws. Yeah. Uh, uh, echo, they're wasted by enforcing broken immigration laws. Forty of the lawmakers agreed. <clears throat> the bill will be introduced to the House Committee when the legislature returns. Uh, there's already a strong reaction from Republicans there, as you can imagine. Here's the problem. It's cold as hell in Minnesota. And we see how these uh, <laughs> these no, illegal I mean, aliens don't like to be in cold weather. If I'm Eric Adams, I'm already revving some buses up. I'm like, all right, uh, you guys want the, what we're going through right now? So here the you ink's go. dry on that signature? Yeah, well, you, here you go. Here's uh, I'm sending 12 buses right it, now. It, it is an immigration uh, illegal aliens, alien starter kit. Uh, for your sanctuary city, congratulations. It's a gift. <laughs> uh, Minnesotans want a secure border not to turn their state into a magnet for illegal immigration, says the uh, rep- uh, the Republican House Minority Leader, Lisa DeMuth. Uh, sanctuary cities in other parts of the country have struggled with the surge of illegal immigration and caused a tremendous strain on housing, education, food, shelves, health care, public safety, and other resources. Minnesotans simply do not support this extreme policy. So they're just saying we're not, uh, uh, I mean, the immigration policy of sending ICE to arrest and deport people uh, is that's their job. I don't know how, I don't know how you don't allow them to do that. I think they're not going to arrest them on behalf of the of ICE. Or they'll just say that uh, you have no jurisdiction here in the state because we uh, don't believe in illegal immigration. So... Uh, you're illegally arresting people for something that they uh, we don't believe in. People in favor of the bill say it ensures that immigrants have a chance to contribute to the betterment of Minnesota without fear of deportation. Yeah. Like, like they have in New York. They've really contributed to the betterment of New York. Uh, there's a lot. There are counties already, 12 states in this country that already declared themselves as sanctuary states. The governor there said he would support similar laws. Have at it. Yeah, enjoy it. And don't start complaining. Yeah. All these sanctuary cities, when the, once they realize the their dream of actually having a, a bunch of illegals there, they, they, you know, they get a little uh, lippy. Yeah. Uh, if that's what you want to do, if you want to be the state that that is uh, your belief, then when 200,000 of them show up on your doorstep, you accept them in open arm then. Don't complain. Uh, don't ask for federal funding. Don't say you're in a state of emergency uh, because of something that you decided you wanted to do. Just uh, grin and bear it. Be happy. This is what you wanted. I know. I, it, it's, I, I mean, I, I think it's hysterically funny. Start building houses for them. Start uh, getting, finding jobs for them. Do whatever you can do. And if more power, too, if you figure out a way to make it work for you. Yeah, good luck. I, I just... I don't. I can't imagine desire to absolutely destroy. I mean, they're going to magnet. They're going to magnate, magnet, 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 magnetize. Anyway, they're going to be around the bigger city, St. Paul, right? Uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, which, by the way, gets so cold during the winter that there's tunnels, uh, bridges everywhere connecting downtown buildings with one another, so you don't have to even go outside to cross the street. I don't think they. Uh, I don't think that registers in their brain, because of the fact that you look at New York, which it's cold in New York, 
and they're struggling to find places to put people so they don't freeze out on the street and die. And you're going, yeah, send us more. We, we're, you can come be here and be safe. Uh, you're going to end up be with a bunch of Mexican popsicles out in front of your, <laughs> your buildings and then going to be uh, crying that it's a humanitarian crisis. Well, I, I, look, I welcome any state other than the state of Florida and Texas you know, to uh, give it a shot. You know, you might like it. What we see going on right now in uh, in the UK, in France, in uh, uh, Great Britain, Spain, Germany, farmers revolting. It happened in Denmark. Farmers revolting because of the new climate-related regulations that are going on in these countries. Um, and they, we've seen revolt, ma- massive revolt. The manure shooters, the sprayers, the mile-long convoys of tractors. Um, it's coming. To America. Farmageddon. Biden administration's climate policy, uh, the experts estimate, will jack up costs for farmers and leave uh, families spending 1300 more a year on more expensive groceries. Uh, the Buckeye Institute Ohio-based free market think tank says diesel, propane, fertilizer costs will rise thanks to these climate measures. Farmers will push these costs onto consumers. Cheese, beef, other everyday basics will cost as much as 80% more. Federal policymakers are pursuing extreme climate control emissions policies that have largely failed in Europe. They won uh, in the in the e, uh, with the, if the e, I guess the EU. They said, "Okay, we'll give up. Stop with the manure." And they rolled. They, they had uh, fertilizer regulations they were putting on them, um, uh, other other things, but they've they've reversed it there. Uh, the American household will be required to pay for these climate control emissions regulations. They say agriculture takes a toll on the environment. Pesticides, fertilizers, methane released by livestock. This is mind-boggling to me. And there's something very sinister about it. I really don't, I, I really don't think that, that, it's a, uh, that at the heart of it, I mean, although many people are convinced that it's truly about climate change. I don't think it's about climate change. I think it's about less food. For people, I think it's about producing less groceries. Um, uh, you know, I mean, if, if the the regulations they tried to put on France went into, into effect, uh, it would have rocked their economy in terms of food costs, and you know, people wouldn't be able to afford to buy the normal food they buy today. Yeah, food costs, food production would have uh, gone in opposite directions. Um, in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the Paris uh, Climate Accords uh, and a bunch of investing into business promoting socially conscious environmental social governance standards. These drive up costs for for farmers um, and make some farming impossible to do. I mean, you know, without the proper pesticides or uh, or uh, fertilizers. Uh, the crow. What is the crow? Uh, Rocky Ford, Colorado, uh, one of the uh, many farmers that have been affected by water conservation, they created a model of a hypothetical corn farm that had to abide by the new environmental re- regulations and standards. Uh, and they, it's, it shows that the farmers are going to be hit hard. Climate control policies push up the cost of nitrogen, diesel, propane, oil and gas producers, chemical companies. The, the American farm will likely shoulder the heaviest com- compliance burden. Yeah, the, the water 
model they made for uh, a, a cornfield reduced their output of corn by like some 60%. American cheese would cost 78% more. Uh, beef, a 70% rise. Rice, 66% rise. Chicken, 39%. Eggs, 36%. On top of where they already are today. Yeah, there's only two things that this possibly could be is that they're either one, absolute idiots and don't know actually how farming works or it's deliberate because those are the only two things it could possibly be. Why Why does do liberals and they're the other ones that there are some liberal administrations that come up with this crap. Why don't they ever study the cause and effect of what of their regulation? You know what I mean? Because they have to turn around on, on so many of them because for obvious reasons, the bag thing, for example. Oh, we got to get rid of this plastic. These bags are bad. Well, now you've got 10 times more plastic being produced. Because they play for headlines. Uh, they play for that uh, flashy, uh, look what we did. We did a good thing for the environment, even though we didn't look into what it actually does. Or look at the, uh, we got rid of, of t- arresting people for selling drugs. Because right. look at what, what that's going to do. It's going to be so great to keep people out of prison. Except now our communities suck. Uh, we got rid of arresting people for being prostitutes because, you know, too many uh, minorities were getting arrested for being prostitutes. Uh, now whole entire towns are being run by pimps. Uh, we got rid of plastic bags because uh, the environment says there were so many plastic bags. You remember saying a turtle had pumped plastic in his nose that one time. And now we're actually producing more plastic in the, in the environment. Uh, they see that over and over. They see, okay. Uh, farms use a lot of water. We got to get to reduce right. the water. They, they use. use a lot of fertilizer. That's got to be bad, right? It yeah. sounds bad. And they, they use some chemicals that uh, to kill the chemicals? animals. Chemicals? Oh, my God. And so we got to get rid of all those things. And then they look and go, oh, wait, I, I can't get any vegetables anymore. And I'm a vegan. And now I, I can't get vegetables anymore because the farm can't grow vegetables. <laughs> and I can't afford beef because it's 70% higher than it was before. Uh, yeah, these are really misguided uh, climate stuff. Anything that they that anybody could ever come up with that that is will be good for the climate, they're going to they're gonna do it, regardless. They don't care. Windmills. Well, the, the damn uh, turbine blades uh, fail quite a bit. We got, where are we going to put them? They're massive. I don't know. Dig a hole. We'll put them in there. Well, they're made out of fiberglass. They, all, they have a 4,000-year uh, uh, lifespan. Oh, we'll, we'll figure it out later. I mean... Uh, they're uh, chopping uh, up every bird in, within a five-mile radius. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to make those drones anyway. Uh, well, they're causing whales to beach. Uh, well, I mean, we need less whales anyway. There's too many. <laughs> the waters are too full of whales. Uh, this, yeah, the imposing this ESG stuff on farmers is going to be a, have a devastating impact on agriculture. But I imagine Americans will um, likely respond in the similar manner that the Europeans have. Yeah, because we, for the most part, people do know where our food comes from. I think a lot of people are losing that. Uh, but there are a lot of people that know that the uh, grocery store, the vegetables there don't just pop out of the ground. Right. Uh, for, you know, there's no guy in the back of the public just pulling uh, racks and racks of corn that just came out of nowhere. Just the truck shows up with corn in it. Yeah. Who's on the horn? Uh, Chris from Jersey. Oh. Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? Thanks for holding. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Hey, everybody. Hey, I was, ju- was going to tell you, I was just talking to Heather. I said, I was just up in Minneapolis State Fall in a, in a spot. It's called Brooklyn Park. I was up there uh, doing a welding job. And uh, it used to, like, 10 years ago when I used to go up there, 15 years ago, something like that, you know, it looked it looked like you and I looking in a mirror everywhere you went. You know what I mean? Right. Everybody over six foot, 
blonde hair, blue eyes. It was right now, the same exact town. I go there. You need to be able to speak a language from some African nation because that's where that's where they dumped all. That's well, dump, that's kind of a. Yeah, I, right. where, I, that's where uh, they put all the Somali. Yeah, right. That's right there. Where Omar, uh, Ilhan Omar, uh, Omar's yeah, district man, is. I yeah. mean, they have the highest population of Somalis and the highest population of Mungs in the country. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy up there, though. They're real, like, that area is real liberal, but you go outside of there and it's real conservative people and... You know, they just did a study the other day, like 75% of the population of Minnesota never leaves the state. Interesting. Well, that, no, they'll, they'll, they it'll, it'll, it'll be a nice mix of uh, Somalians, Venezuelans, Mexicans, and Hondurans. So uh, <laughs> yeah. enjoy. I'll tell All you right. what, man. Th- Thanks, Chris. It's going to get great. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. I mean, the food's going to be good. That's true. I bet it, I bet it's going to be good. Well, in Hawaii, you know, we uh, um, accepted Hawaii, if you want to call it that, uh, into the United States. And with that, they were blessed with the United States Constitution. Well, the high court there in Hawaii has ruled that the Second Amendment rights, as interpreted by the United States Supreme Court, do not extend to Hawaii citizens. Hmm. The ruling was penned by Hawaii Supreme Court Justice Todd Eddins. The court determined that the states retain the authority to require individuals to hold proper permits before carrying firearms in public. The decision also concluded that the Hawaii Constitution broadly does not afford a right to carry firearms in public places for self-defense, citing the spirit of aloha. The spirit of aloha. Well... I, which I guess means kindness will stop the bullet or stop you from being attacked in the street or mugged or raped. Right. You go, aloha, aloha, aloha. They say the spirit of aloha clashes with the federally mandated lifestyle that lets citizens walk around with deadly weapons during day-to-day activities. The history of the Hawaiian Islands does not include a society where armed people move about the community to possibly combat the deadly arms of others or aims of others. A freewheeling right to carry guns in public degrades other constitutional rights. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Only if you use it. <laughs> then also they act like... This is another one where those weird where yeah. they like, oh, indigenous people before white people got there, all kumbaya, everyone held in hands, <laughs> uh, everyone was just trading pineapples back and forth. And it, everyone was lovely. And not the fact that there was war. There were people that carried big sticks and beat each other to death with it. It wasn't a paradise like everybody wants to make it seem like that. Right. Um, it's also kind of weird, the spirit of Aloha stuff. Remember the after the Maui fires, they didn't want to turn the water on because they thought uh, water should be respected more than just using it to put out fires. <laughs> I don't know. Um it seems like they're not really arguing about the right to bear arms. They, they don't like open carry uh, for some reason. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that conventional interpretive modalities and Hawaii's historical tradition of firearm regulation rule out an individual right to keep and bear. Oh, you can't even keep one. Charges. Uh, there's a case that this wrapped around. 
uh, December 2017, a Hawaii citizen, Chris Wilson, arrested and charged with improperly holding a firearm and ammunition in West Maui. The firearm he was arrested carrying was unregistered in Hawaii, and he never obtained an, uh, or applied a permit to own the gun. He told officers but that the firearm was bought in 2013 in Florida. Hawaii Supreme Court ruled that the conventional interpretive modalities of historical tradition of uh, firearm regulation ruled out an individual right. Wilson agreed in court that the charges brought against him violated the Second Amendment, but according to the, uh, the paper, the Hawaii High Court explicitly rejected the U.S. Supreme Court's interpretation of the, sec- of the Second Amendment. Ha. I don't know that the state can do that. Um, this is a, they, they signed a landmark decision called District of Columbia v. Heller uh, and 2022's New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, which both held that there's a constitutionally protected right to carry firearms. It's a landmark decision, affirms the constitution, uh, constitutionality of crucial gun safety legislation. Gun violence, they say, a Democrat there, uh, their Attorney General Ann Lopez, gun violence is a serious problem. And common sense tools like licensing and registration have an important role. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I have a friend that lives, uh, I forget what, Oahu, I think. I should call him and ask him. If you are looking for a new drug, you may want to look into pink cocaine. Oh. <laughs> Uh, there's a, and it's all made by a California donut shop owner. Luis Correo Moyera, the primary suspect, the detectives found evidence of manufacturing and sale of illegal narcotics out of, the, out of his business, the Yum Yum Donut Shop. <laughs> so they had some search warrants. Uh, they, he was allegedly manufacturing and peddling a new substance known as Tusi. T-U-S-I or 2C, the number two, number, uh, uh, pink cocaine, Pantera Rose, or pink panther. What is that, you ask? Well, it's a new synthetic drug made from a mixture of ketamine, some type Thank of amphetamine. Thank you very much. What the hell? That's my name. That's right. I didn't hit play. I just started playing. <laughs> uh, okay, where were we? Oh, it's got ketamine, meth, Cocaine, MDMA, and opioids. All whipped in a wonderful little pink-hued uh, powder. The just snort crazy. I mean, that's the... Um, when you want to party for 40 days in a row? God, that is insane. Um, it's a mixture. All these drugs can be deadly, they say. Uh, possible symptoms including agitation, hallucinations, psychosis, and hyperstimulation. I mean, you could take all those individually if you wanted, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, but why wouldn't you want one in a Barbie pink uh, snorting? Uh... Yeah, a cute pink hue to it. They're, they're starting to see a lot of it, they say. They want the public to know it's out there. Whew. Maybe this is what the guys at Kansas City uh, uh, f- f- fan pops were uh, snorting before they ke- keeled over. Hey, man, I got some of that Taylor Swift Coke. You want anything? <laughs> it's pink. Who's on the horn there? Uh, Chip. Let's talk to Chip. Chip, how are you? Thanks for holding. Hey, what's up, fellas? Yeah, um, I figured I'd give you all a call, man. That Tootsie, 
I went down to Costa Rica, a little bachelor party action, and that that is all the craze down there, man. Like, um, all, all the girls, you know what I mean? Like, Tootsie, Tootsie wants something, and it's like, he has this pink, like, but, like, like nobody even touches blow down there. You know what I mean? Like, really? Like, you can get... Yeah, last you, you time I was being a bit of bar. Well, last time I was down there was in the '90s, and everybody in that country tried to give me cocaine. Well, no, well, now they're selling it to tourists. But I'm talking about if you're trying to pick up a chick, <laughs> like none of the chicks don't give a they don't give a crap if you have blow. Like, no, you have any tulsi? Oh, want Ugh. Yeah, and it's pink. Like you be blowing up like pink boogers and everything. Oh, <laughs> It's wild. Well, I, I I'll, really enjoy it. I'll get my hands on some of them headed down there looking for uh, 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 a hooker. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, I, I got a guy. I got a guy. All right. <laughs> Thanks, <Susie. laughs> uh, Leave the chip that he knows where the drugs are. <laughs> uh, all right. When we return, we will get to uh, remarks. Um, and I'll tell you about a flight from hell. This guy may have snorted too much, Tusi. Hang on, it's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. Here. It's just a big, dysfunctional family. Bubba the Love Spot, the Don Miller Show, Bill O'Reilly, Dan Bongino, Shannon Burke, and Jesse Kelly. Usually just going one step too far. Yup, Florida Man Radio. I don't know what I would have done on this flight. So, uh, a flight from Bangkok to Germany, right? Uh, 63-year-old traveler boarded the Lufthansa flight, visibly ill, uh, and his condition quickly worsened during the flight. I mean... Considerably. He was traveling with his wife, a Filipino woman. He had got on with, quote, cold sweats, and he was breathing much too quickly. Passengers rushed to help him. Some offered him chamomile tea. Some took his pulse. Uh, As the plane took off, he quickly went downhill. He was seen spitting into a bag uh, when a, quote, gush of blood came out of his mouth and nose at such a rate that it splattered the walls of the aircraft. You can imagine how passengers screamed. He And he continued to, quote, cough up liters of blood in front of his wife before collapsing and dying. If I see a guy... Just blood gushing out of his mouth and nose, and you're leaving Bangkok. I'm thinking that's you've got that guy got some freaky Bangkok disease, Ebola, who God knows what, and and we're all exposed on this plane now. Um, I've seen way way too many zombie movies. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably bashing this dude's head in. I feel bad afterwards, yeah. but I've, I and I would let everybody know better safe than sorry. That's everyone. right. He's dead already, but. Uh, that was a lot of blood that came shooting out of his mouth and his nose. Uh, we got to really uh, protect ourselves here. I can't, for the like, life of me, f- figure out what type of sickness causes you to shoot blood from your mouth and nose. Leaders. Uh, I'm understanding Ebola does something very similar to that. Yeah. If that's the case, then everybody on that flight better be quarantined. Uh, doesn't sound like it was. 
he, uh, the medical vehicle showed at the airport after the man died on the flight. His uh, wife had initially told the cabin crew her husband was feeling unwell because they had been forced to run to catch the plane at the Bangkok airport. Flight attendant then reached, uh, reacted and asked him if he was okay. She said, very worried. Um, man, when they, uh, he was given the green light, everyone was given the green light to stay on board. Uh, the pilot arrived and called to the doctor over the loudspeaker. No other, no, I guess there were some medics on board with very bad English. Uh, he took his pulse, then they gave him a little chamomile tea, and then, but he was already splitting, spitting blood into a bag. Um, that his wife was holding out, and a gush came out, just whoosh, just rushed out of his mouth and his nose. Okay, this guy had dengue fever. Oh yeah, dengue fever is a mosquito-borne tropical disease caused by the dengue virus. Symptoms typically begin three to fourteen days after the inve- infection. These may include a high fever, headache, vomiting, muscle and joint pains, characteristic skin itching and skin rash. Recovery generally takes seven, two to seven days, but in a small proportion of cases, disease develops into a more severe deng- dengue. Hemorrhagic fever resulting in bleeding, low levels of blood platelets, and blood plasma leakage, or dengue uh, shock syndrome, which is where dangerously low blood pressure occurs, causing increased bleeding all over the place. Ugh. They tried for about a half hour to resuscitate the guy. Um, they said the rest of the flight was really quiet. <laughs> they said the wife of the man that had died had to walk alone through the customs as they rebooked on another flight. To Hong Kong, she stood there, just kind of apathetic, and had to enter all the formalities. He said it was unacceptable that 30 traumatized passengers were left to wait without direction. He hopes for an apology from the uh, the airline. Oh, I, gotta, I understand. They gave everybody 10 francs. Yeah, ten, a 10-franc 10 <laughs> voucher, which is like, you know, 10 bucks. They confirm it. Wow. Sorry, everybody. Uh, here's a 10 spot. Uh, thanks for flying Lufthansa here. So they were in the air for an hour and a half, and he gushed blood like uh, shortly after takeoff. Yeah. It was a real quiet flight. Yeah. They decided <laughs> to return to Bangkok, made a normal landing. Uh, they're... The instructions of the medical agency services and the Thai authorities were uh, followed. The passengers on the flight have since been rebooked to all their, they've flown another airline. Uh, our thoughts are with the relatives of the deceased passenger. We also regret the inconvenience caused by liters of blood spewing all over the walls of the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I, I mean, there's no mention in this article about anybody, uh, any worry about being infected with whatever this guy had. Yeah, I mean. The, After this pandemic BS we've been through, I'd be freaked out. The air circulation is already, uh, you know, Complete. not great mm-hmm. on uh, an airplane. So the dude, Ugh. I mean, liters of blood is a lot of blood. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, here's a better flight story. This woman, I saw her picture. Boy, oh boy, was she pretty. Amanda Diaz Rojas was on her flight waiting for the plane to take off when she was asked by security to take down her hand luggage. Uh, it could be heard vibrating. She's a, an influencer on TikTok. Grabbed her suitcase, took it off the plane where officers were waiting. Inside, she discovered the cause, her vibrator. She, try, uh, she sheepishly kind of 
was kind of, oh, God, I just uh, and, and reached under some clothing and tried to turn it off. Uh, but that, you know, they had to go through her luggage and she got outed with a, a huge vibrating dong. <laughs> she used to be centering the code to, to her locked luggage and uh, she opens it up and while laughing with embarrassment, because she kind of knows what it is, uh, she then closes the suitcase and carries it off the plane. Uh, so wait, I, they wouldn't let her fly? Uh, just because no, she had a vibrator they, on? Was she, they made her take it off and then, like, get back. She got, was able to fly later That on that flight. They just had to, like, take her off, go through it. and then. But everybody on that flight knows that they were held up because her vibrator was going off. Yeah, and she was really... Her name is uh, Amanda Diaz Rojas. She's super hot. Which makes me wonder how many uh, baggage carriers... Because she put it in her carry-on. How many of them, though, just put it in their in their regular luggage? They're in their, in their, and uh, they're just checked. All the way down. The, <laughs> he's like, ah, he's like, I got another one. Uh, some of her her responses um, on her TikTok, one wrote, self-care is the most important care. One posted, I love how the plane crew was laughing at them. One said, girl, take the damn batteries out for the flight. That's what friends are for, recording your most embarrassing moment. <laughs> but you know she had one of the strong ones, though, because it was vibrating enough that everybody Did noticed it. You the Somebody running a weed whacker in here? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I mean... My wife doesn't travel with one, but I, I would imagine you take the batteries out. Most of them are rechargeable today anyway, you know, with a USB... USB deal. Um, Apple has disabled the ability for the new, uh, for Safari to support the VR porn being viewed on its new Vision Pro headset. Uh, Apple has long, has long standing policy of not allowing apps with pornographic content on its iPhones and iPads. It's never made any statements to, uh, uh, or attempts to block users from accessing content on their, of their choice through their device on the web, of course. Uh, it has even less control there. Uh, on its Macs, like other P- uh, PCs, permit users to install their own apps and view whatever content they choose in whatever way. Vision Pro, uh, users aren't blocked from viewing porn using Safari per se. Apple's blocked the ability for, to view uh, porn in, quote, immersive VR mode. What is that? Like full screen, it's... Like you're in the porn, not that it's on the screen. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Um, that means Vision Pro is the world's first spatial computer that cannot play spatial porn. You can still look at the old porn on a flat screen. That's because they're designed to be worn. Uh, you can walk around, see where you're going, and at another level, see the other stuff. They're afraid you get too into the porn, you walk off the edge of a cliff. Yeah, but there's going to be people watching porn. They'll modify them quick. There's a workaround. Get yourself a cheap Google Cardboard or similar old-school mobile VR phone viewer and use their iPhones like the early days of VR porn. They do say the high visual fidelity of Vision Pro would have undoubtedly made the next-level experience. Uh, Porn industry has historically been a key driver on mainstream adoption of new technology. Apple is prepared to shut down that part of the market on its to make their other headsets. Love that article. Whoever wrote this article was like, "Hey, man, if you really got to watch it, you just get one of those old cardboard ones." <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I mean, that's going to push sales of this thing. If you really wanted to move it, allow the uh, the porn on it. 
Uh, all right, let's get to the remarks, shall we? From the Florida Man Radio app and powered by Morris Family Farms and Organic Meats. The app is uh, a great way to uh, take the show with you wherever you go. Listen to old uh, podcasts that are posted nightly. Down at the bottom is a little microphone. You can hit that, baby, and communicate with us. All right. Here, here we go. The clear anger that Biden has is a direct symptom of his dementia. Uh, you can just tell how he gets really mad and aggravated very fast now. Yeah. Hi, Shannon and Easy. Happy Friday. Uh, this is Doug from Orange City. Uh, what I saw in the in Joe Biden on TV last night and the reporters was basically an intervention. They were taking Grandpa's keys away, or it's the beginning of taking Grandpa's keys away uh, and giving him extra meds, maybe. Yeah. Uh, have a good weekend, boys. <clears throat> um. I, I, you know, like I said, he's being advised by somebody. I don't. I would have never gone out there to say to say anything, not in person. But that's more of him not getting in front of people, you know, and facing the press. No, I think that last night was him, was all him. You think I gotta go out there and tell him I'm not stupid and old? Yeah, I do. I think that was 100 percent him. He just proved that he's losing his mind. He let Ducey ask a question. And then he said he shouldn't have let him do it. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Um, that dude was up there for I don't know how long uh, at that press conference. He's he's trying to polish over a turd, and it just wasn't polishing. Um, and the press just wasn't pushing anything that I saw. I didn't watch it consistently, but I was in and out of the room while that was on the television. And uh, I don't know. The hypocrisy is just, yep. and the double standards are just oh, yeah. beyond belief. B2B. A complete double standard. Hello? This is uh, President Biden. And is this uh, that Jim Phillips show? Talking about my mental f- facilities? And uh, you and that other doc history fella, uh, uh, that soul brother Kevin, well, I, I just want to let you know my, my son... Bo died in Vietnam. So, <laughs> you whipper fellas who talk this nonsense. So, I just want to let you know I'm I'm sharp as a sharp as a knife. Uh, Beto Beto. Every Democrat, every all getting every a little bit every squirrely. Every cause Biden every just won't every stop every saying lies. A throw rug every at the top of the stairs, and every they won't need to every worry. <laughs> every cause the head of every crime, every families, every always every die. <laughs> every you can every. <laughs> uh, this one is blank. Star Trek guy here. Been listening in the last few days, and you guys did not cover this story. Major breaking news. Very disappointed in you. But Uno has officially come out with you cannot play a draw two on top of another draw two. If that's not a threat to democracy, I don't know what is. <laughs> beater, beater. I haven't played Uno since my 
my daughter was a kid. Yeah, that's right up there with games you don't play, like Monopoly. Those are, uh, you know, strangle your family. Type yeah. ones. <laughs> it's always been my understanding that Minnesota is pretty much Canada South, so how about we just go ahead and make it official? Yeah. Hey, Larry from the Panhandle, originally from New York. This isn't about getting new voters. It's about increasing the amount of people that are in their districts so they can send more representatives to Congress and lock in Democrat power. And there'll be nothing you can do about it. Yep. They'll stop the president. They'll hamstring the Supreme Court. They don't care about their constituents, the people in the poor cities. They'll just replace them with power. Yeah, the more people, the more representatives they get. Well, fellas, one of the things you're missing about the issue, you know, incompetence or on purpose, every one of these policies that they talk about the climate with, it just so happens to give them more power. Like There isn't a single initiative that they push that does not make them more powerful and enrich their buddies. So it's just as much about that as it is being just dumbasses and don't see the, the, the long game for it. Hey, guys, you just played that clip a little while ago of that son of a bitch, Lawrence O'Donnell. That guy, he looks like a ghoul, and I swear he is just going to defend Biden until they, until either one of them dies. And uh, don't even get me started on, you know, crazy lesbian on that channel. Jeez, if Hawaii had those... Uh gun laws, and, and how come all those criminals use guns on Hawaii 5.0? I don't understand it. <laughs> That's a good question. That was a great show. And also the yeah, so stick them up. Give me your wallet. Aloha. Oh, sorry, my bad. I don't understand uh, the laws of aloha. Yeah, that uh, whole spirit of aloha. Yeah, that can suck my Second Amendment nuts. <clears throat> Jeez. Man, when you said pink cocaine, I was like, oh, that's old news. I saw pink crack and smoked a little bit of that down in Kissimmee with some homeless people one day. Uh, that's a long story. But then you said I got all them other things in there. I was thinking maybe, you know, uh, may have to make another trip of it. Smoking crack with some homeless people in Kissimmee. Yeah, it's a long story, though. A long story. <laughs> Shane B. checking in. Okay, so yeah, I've done a lot of drugs in my day. Now, MDMA can be an upper or a downer, depending on how it's cut. Meth and cocaine, yeah, definitely uppers. Ketamine, a downer. So you got two downers and two uppers. And, and, and By the end of the night, opioids. you're going to be right back where you started, just stone sober and mad and broke. You're going to look <laughs> in your wallet and realize, what did I just waste my money on? Either you're going to that or you're going to be on a full roller coaster. Like up, down, oh, up, yeah. down, up, down. Right. Usually you separate them. Then you get a high on, uh, on, the, on the upper stuff, and then uh, you take the edge off with the lower stuff uh, before you go to bed. It's very easy. That was did it all the time. Howdy, guys. This is Nate in Bakersfield, California. Um, you were talking about uh, farmers in France, how they're revolting because of the climate change restrictions that are being put on them, and they, they aren't able to 
to grow food or make money. Um, it's kind of already happening here in the United States, here in uh, San Joaquin Valley, California. We produce, I think it's 70 or 75% of the produce for the United States and also for exports. But my grandfather was a third generation farmer and he had, he ended up selling this farm because of the regulations and restrictions out here. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I got to say, it's a very tragic thing that uh, happened to the Bangkok man on the uh, flight here, uh, blood gushing out in uh, just uh, a horrific sight. But uh, something similar happened when uh, vegetables were introduced to uh, Putin's mouth. <laughs> that flight from Bangkok to Frankfurt where the guy exploded blood everywhere would have been really funny if the onboard flight was outbreak. Oh, God. Todd Daytona. Just a heads up, Shando. There's going to be a whole bunch of people playing a Harry Potter themed geolocation hunt game in Park Avenue tomorrow. Um, I'll be there somewhere between micro and macro. Maybe I'll see you at Fiddler's. Hopefully, this time you won't have tentacles. Harry Be-de-de-de. Potter geocaching thing tomorrow? Uh, All right. You won't see me there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had a whole wizard outfit you were going for. Good Lord. Something doesn't smell right. I don't trust this latest episode of uh, let's feel sorry for our president because of his dementia. I think this is a shiny object. We've been over so many targets lately, and I think this is a desperate ploy to get us off of those targets. I say we get back to him. Everyone knows that this guy is an effing idiot. (laughs) Dementia or not. Nobody knows this, but I got syphilis. I'm I'm almost dead, so I might as well tell you. And I don't know if that was that pink cocaine or the the other pink stuff. Because I've had my nose in in a lot of that pink. (laughs) That guy called it a while. It's been a while, yeah. I think the whole thing was a setup, man. They they they're trying to tank him on purpose. They didn't give him his usual elixir. Sent him out there late at night. I mean, they couldn't have set him up worse for failure. They're trying to make him resign. I listened to Jay Seculo today. He read the entire 400 pages. He said in the in the in there it, it said that Biden asked if he was still vice president. Uh, am I still vice president? Yeah, he's bad. He's in bad shape. Hey, this is Wackler Gene. Hey, uh, my best friend told me that it's Dark History Month, so I thought EZ would be very happy about that. Uh, <laughs> In celebration, could you please do some Pearl Jam reports, please? Beat it, beat it. He's Bangkok's now. Well, now, call me old-fashioned, but maybe instead of trying to find the cheat code to the Apple VR goggles, how about you find yourself a partner and make some of your own porn? How about that? They put that guy up for the presser today because they could fully brief him, have the confidence to know that he wouldn't rattle, and um, 
and that's what we got. We had to sit there and watch the lies and the back talk. It's disgusting. Smoking crack with some homeless people in Kissimmee is not a long story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you get to that point? Right. I mean, how do you end up with homeless people smoking crack? Howdy, guys. Nate and Vegas for California again. Um, I'm glad that uh, Star Trek guy called and gave the update on the UNO um, regulation change um, because I quit playing UNO about 10 years ago because I'm out here in California and I'm out here surrounded by Mexicans. And when you play UNO with a Mexican, they end up stealing all the green cards. <laughs> hey, everybody. Well, what's the deal with the Harry Potter thing? Is that going to be a bunch of adults running around with wands and robes on? I need to clean my sniper rifle. <laughs> Sounds like it. Oh, Shane sounded like out of guy. I just got out of bed with Filipino girlfriend Sasha. What happened in the past minute? Just want to know. Keep me informed. Okay, Peter, Peter, have a good weekend. Uh. I missed Biden's speech last night. Did he tell the story about the time he put the hat on the snowman and he came to life? That was a good one. <laughs> Those are the remarks for this hour, uh, but there's still time to leave one for the final hour of the program. We're getting dark? Yes, we're talking murder. Murder. For hire. For hire. Yes. Never, ever goes well. Ah, uh, these are some uh, interesting ones. All right. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they don't go well either, but there are some interesting ones. All right. Uh, we will do that next. It's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. WFYY HD3 Windermere. WXUS HD3. W266DY Donellan. WZLB Valparaiso. Florida Man Radio. Well, uh, one homeowner in Vermont. Uh... Late night, 11.30 p.m., he encountered three armed individuals attempting to force entry into his residence through a locked door. Reacting to the imminent threat, the homeowner opened the door and fired his muzzle-loader rifle at one of the intruders, stopping the attempted break-in. Um, the other two suspects fled. They found the guy he hit in a... A neighboring yard, he was uh, critically injured. Uh, they got him off in an ambulance. And state police are actively investigating this case. They executed a search warrant on the residence. Well, I don't understand that. Uh, make, I guess to look to see if everything was legal in there. I think because, here's my theory, that if... Uh, if you're a convicted felon, you can only own a a, 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 a firearm that is a certain, a minimum age old, like 100 years or something like that. Um, so they probably said, hey, what are you doing with a muzzle loader? And he said, uh, I'm a convicted felon. It's supposed to be a collectible, but you can fire it. Um, and they, they said, okay, well, let's make sure you don't have any real guns in there that you're not supposed to have. Just my my working theory. I also hope we kicked open the door and was like, "Regards from the revolution, mother of thirst, fired that sucker off." Oh, like he heard somebody break it. He's like, "Oh my god!" He grabbed his muzzle, got his horn, shook the the gunpowder, put the wad down there. And there. Hey guys, give me like four more minutes. <laughs> oh, this one. Oh, there's only one of you. <laughs> All of you standing in a line. <laughs> 
Yeah, if the first shot doesn't get you, I'm going to hit you with my, uh, what do they call the blunderbuss. <laughs> I got a flintlock here, too. <laughs> uh, they say, uh, um, the event underscores critical importance of home security, the potential role of firearms protecting yourself and your loved ones. Muzzleloader rifles, often associated with historical reenactments and hunting, aren't commonly cited in modern home defense scenarios. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, principal in California, they were doing an active shooter drill. And Nina Denson, the principal at Washington Elementary School, uh, carried out the active shooter uh, lockdown drill. Then she proceeded to walk around campus pretended to, pretending to shoot people she saw using her finger movements uh, and banging on windows. Saw a kid moving, uh, and she aimed her finger at him and said, "Boom, you're dead." Some of the kids that witnessed that in- incident were as young as four years old. One, uh, one uh, six-year-old said, "I'm just really glad none of my friends died." <laughs> Bang! You did. But you did. This type of drill where a scenario was not approved by the district or part of the district protocol. Oh, so she just got a willy-nilly uh, active shooter drill. <laughs> Bang, you dead. All right, let's get dark. Let's do that. It's disturbing history with EZ. There's a lot of history out there. Some of it isn't in the books. It's Friday, and first and foremost, I can't argue with our listeners. So, published February 8th, so in the Columbian, Pearl Jim blasted out their forthcoming album to a few hundred friends, family, friends, and industry insiders and reporters last week. The track showed they are doing anything but mellowing with age. Singer Eddie Vedder, lead guitarist Mike McCready, and bassist Jim Emnett played the record for the first time for invited guests at the Troubadour. The Republic Records release will be the 12th studio album in their first since 2020. Kick it Pearl Jam update. There you go. There's some Pearl Jam for you. Bro. I was impressed that there was some Pearl Jam to update. I had to yeah, me too. <laughs> I just typed in Pearl Jam latest news and boom, that was yesterday. Wow. Like, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Get some sweet new Pearl Jam out soon. Mm. I know everybody's super excited. I wonder if the same is, the, it's you know, a little more calm, old school, old, you know, uh, old man music. I'm hoping it's more like early stuff and not so much gigaton stuff because gigaton stuff was weird. Yeah. There was some weird stuff to it. That's true. I didn't. There was some okay song. I didn't mind it, but it was not. Uh, you, if I turned that on and said, "Hey, here's some Pearl Jam," you would have never said uh, hey, would, Pearl Jam. Oh, you mean the very, very early? Well, just the last album. Oh, the last had. one. Yeah, it, was, it was a little more experimental type of thing. But today we're talking not just Pearl Jam, even though we got that out of the way. We're talking about murder for hire. Murder? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking always just calling up hitman.com, rentahitman.com. Go there now if you'd like to call yeah. your hitman players. You want to make sure that the cops are uh, at your house in no time. And also, yeah, if you if you haven't met with an FBI agent lately, here's the way for you to do it. <laughs> but over the years, there's been uh, strangely, it's always been, I think murder for hire was probably the second oldest profession right after prostitution. 
There was prostitution, really? and then there was I'll pay if I Hit pay you some money, stuff? will you kill somebody? Huh? You know it's been there for since the very beginning. You know, there's always been that one guy that's like I hate my neighbor, but if I kill my neighbor with a rock, they'll know. But if the guy down the street kills our neighbor with a rock, they won't suspect him. Yeah, so I'll give right. him a couple extra loaves of bread, and he'll <laughs> hit my guy with the, the rock. We're going to talk about a few, though. Some ones that really got out of hand, though, because uh, the big drawback of murder for hire is that the more people that now have knowledge of the murder, so always the greater the scheme falls apart. And we'll head to Brazil first. For nearly 20 years, Wallace Souza was the host of Canal Livre, which is a very popular Brazilian reality TV show that showcased police investigating crime scenes. So think uh, 48 Hours here in the U.S. Yeah. or any of those other crime shows on uh, live TVs and things like that. In fact, the show proved so popular that Susan was actually able to branch out to a successful political career, and his show's crime-fighting platform helped him to get elected to the state assembly. However, in 2008, Souza found himself the center of a shocking scandal during a time period that Canal Livre seemed to be featured an awful lot of murder cases. Like, Brazil has a lot of murders, and this seemed to have a lot of murders on it. Uh, and the show's camera crew would often show up to the crime scenes before the police got to the murder, which seemed to be a little suspicious. Wow. And, of course, suspicions started to mount that Souza was hiring hitmen to kill people in an attempt to increase the ratings of his show. After the murder, wow, Souza would crazy. immediately tip off his reporters so they could show up the scene to capture fresh footage of a murder. So he would hire a hitman to, to kill people <clears throat> and then sit his film crew out there. Yep. Uh, Suze's personal Jeez. bodyguard told police that at least a dozen murders had been staged for the show. In fact, one of the victims was reputed to have been a hitman who had taken out, uh, who was taken out after turning down Suze's request to murder a judge. So they killed a hitman on their own show after wow. he turned down killing another person. Holy crap. Oh, while Souza denied these claims, a raid of his home turned up weapons, cash, and a list containing the names of four of the recent murder victims. I don't know why we would have that. Uh, this led credence to the theory that Souza was embroiled in a multi-million dollar drug ring and that many of his victims were rivals in the drug business. Ah, uh, and he had a successful TV show. Yeah, he had a murder TV show. The people who show up like, oh, another drug dealer's been killed. Our guys were on the scene. <laughs> And after October 2009, after being expelled from the state assembly, Sousa was charged with numerous crimes, including murder and drug trafficking, and went on the run. Sousa later turned himself to police, but would not uh, live to stand trial because he died of liver disease on July 27th, oh, 2010. Damn. Man. Trying to drum up the ratings. <laughs> All right. Just to give you a heads up, anybody goes missing around here. Ratings are tough right now. <laughs> During the late 1960s and 1970s, there was a criminal organization known as the Dixie Mafia, and they ran roughshod over the state of Mississippi. The reputed leader of the Dixie Mafia was career criminal Kirksey McCord Nix Jr., <laughs> which sounds exactly like a name you would expect yeah, to be the leader really of the does. Dixie Mafia. He was sentenced to life in prison for a 1971 murder of a businessman, but still controlled his criminal enterprise from behind bars. I like to think the Dixie Mafia is... You know, uh, all the mafia movies had the guys in the prison cell, but they always had the big prison cell, and they got to cook, and the guys yeah. were slicing garlic and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I'm thinking Dixie Mafia. They had the same thing, but the guys fried like chicken. cook country fried steak. <laughs> yeah. Mashed potatoes. <laughs> and, and sweet tea. Yeah. Uh, Nick's ran a Lonely Hearts extortion scam, which involved placing personal ads into homosexual ad magazines. When men responded to these ads, Nick's associates would con them out of money and 
you know, if they didn't, they would kill them. Uh, Nix would also orchestrate a murder for hire plot involving an unlikely conspirator, and that was the future murder mayor of Biloxi, Mississippi. So Nix took the money he made from the Lonely Heart scams and entrusted his attorney, Pete Hallett. However, Hallett had taken approximately $500,000 from these funds and wound up spending it on himself. Out of desperation, he concocted a story about the money being stolen by his former law partner, one Vincent Sherry, who had recently become a circuit judge. In response, Nix ordered a hit on Judge Sherry and his wife, Margaret, who just so happened to be planning to run for mayor of Biloxi. They were both shot to death in their home on September 14, 1987. Since Margaret Sherry was his political rival, there was some suspicion that Gerald Blessy, the then mayor of Biloxi, had orchestrated the hit. Pete Hallett, the lawyer who had done all the extorting and was the one that hired them to kill these other people, right. took advantage of this, achieved victory, and was became the new mayor of Biloxi. Sounds like a fun town. It would take a decade for the Sherrys to finally receive justice in 1997. Nix, Hallett, and Thomas Holcomb, the hitman who performed the murder, murder were indicted for their roles in the crime. Nix and Holcomb were given life sentences, while Hallett, he was a mayor, he only received 18 years, so... Really? <laughs> uh, this next murder for hire is over somebody that we've actually talked about before. A classic one, and that's Lobster Boy. Lobster Boy? Mm-hmm. Grady Stills? Old Lobster Boy. He was born with a deformity called ectodactyle, or extrodactyle, excuse me, which caused his fingers to fuse together into claw-like digits. Yeah. He also had stumps in place of his feet, basically rendering him unable to walk. The condition was hereditary, and it was passed through the Styles family for many generations. I actually do believe there are still a couple lobster people still alive. Yeah, uh, I, there are. South. There, uh, there's one in Seattle driving an Uber. <laughs> I shook his hand once. He didn't warn me. Like, ah! Is, you, is your last name Styles? <laughs> I think there's still a bunch that live down in uh, that circus. Uh, really? They're down uh, south here in South Florida. There's like a circus uh, convent type of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Old retired mm-hmm. circus people. Uh, like his ancestors, Grady would make his living performing in the freak shows and carnivals. His deformity earned him the nickname Lobster Boy. In spite of his handicap, Styles was a very dangerous individual. He was abusive, alcoholic, and frequently beat his wife and children. Whoa. He said he his lobster grip was insane. You know, like your mom... Like an alligator? That, yeah, but your mom give you that side oh, pinch and yeah. you can leave a bruise. Yeah. He could do that like full on like, a, alli- yeah, like an alligator mouth closing on your arm. <laughs> In 1978, he was charged with shooting his daughter's fiance and was convicted of third degree murder. However, since no institutions were equipped to provide proper lobster care, Styles got off <laughs> a sentence of 15 years probation. Wow. No, I don't think it would be that hard. Couldn't you just put some of those rubber bands on his hand? and uh, yeah, yeah, like they do at the, uh, <laughs> the, the local <laughs> fishmonger. <laughs> Styles continued to be violent and abusive towards his family for the next several years until his wife, Mary, decided that the only way to get rid of him was orchestrating his murder. With help of Glenn Newman, her son from a previous marriage. Man, Glenn, you got to talk to your mom. Uh, how bad was Glenn's dad? That she was like, yeah, I'm leaving your father, and my mom had the Lobster Boy. Yeah. Lobster Boy was a alcoholic. An yeah, Lobster Boy was number two. Like, Glenn was from a previous marriage, so this lady oh, yeah. went from her former husband to Lobster Boy. Yikes. Well, Mary enlisted the services of a 17-year-old man named Chris Wyrant, who was paid $1,500 to murder Grady. On November 29, 1992, Wyant re-entered Grady's home and shot him in the head while he was watching television. 
It wasn't long before the three perpetrators would be indicted for the murder. Since Glenn Newman was the mastermind behind the plot, he was given life sentence, while Chris Wyatt received 27 years. Uh, Mary expressed no regrets about having her husband killed, claiming he was the only way she could save her family, and she wound up receiving the lighter 12-year sentence. Hmm. I love this. In 1988, Robert Samuels was a camera assistant who worked on several Hollywood productions in Northridge, California with his wife, Mary Ellen, and stepdaughter, Nicole, who was Mary Ellen's child from a previous marriage. On December 8th, Robert was murdered in his home by a shotgun blast to the head. Oh. Since Robert had recently asked his wife for a divorce, suspicion immediately fell upon one Mary Ellen, who wound up inheriting $500,000 after her husband's death. However, there was nothing to tie Mary Ellen to the murder until the case took a bizarre turn about seven months later. A 27-year-old man named James R. Bernstein was found beaten and strangled to death in an isolated canyon. It turned out that Bernstein was engaged to be married to Nicole Samuels, the daughter. After investigation, Sutton uncovered that Mary Ellen had made arrangements with Bernstein to murder her husband. Though whether Bernstein performed the deed himself or hired someone else to do it is unknown. Mary Ellen eventually became paranoid that Bernstein might talk and subsequently hired two more hitmen to take him out. Wow. For reduced sentences, those two killers agreed to testify against Mary Ellen. Following her arrest, he was, she would be nicknamed the Green Widow since she had blown through her entire $500,000 inheritance in just over one year. Wow. What an idiot. Uh, one of the most damning evidences uh, against Mary Ellen was a photograph taken by her new lover shortly after Robert's death. She was seen lying nude on a hotel bed in Cancun, covered in $20,000 in cash. Hmm. In 1994, Mary Ellen Samuels was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to death, and she remains on death row to this day. Wow. Damn. The old, Blew through that money in no time. Yeah, the old sexy $20,000... Uh, nude, nude photo shot. Well, I, it was her money. Well... I she, mean... <laughs> murdered the guy for it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, kind of. On the evening of August 30th, 1977, a restaurateur named Theodore <clears throat> T.K. Hardy was found murdered inside his home in Athens, Georgia. He'd been shot through the back of the head, execution style. Hardy ran a popular saloon in, pop in Athens Shopping District, which is uh, uh, a defunct railroad depot known as the station, and had been engaged in a heated rivalry with another restaurateur named John Mooney. So Mooney owned a pizza well, place. Okay, they're comp food, they're competing. Mm -hmm. Mooney owned a pizza place in the station and was, con was constantly attempting to undercut Hardy's business by stealing his customers. When Hardy managed to buy the station's lease, he demanded Mooney's cooperation. Shortly thereafter, an attempt was made to set fire to Hardy's saloon. And Mooney was served with an eviction notice. Naturally, Mooney became the prime suspect. In Hardy's murder bill, he had an airtight alibi and was in Ohio that night. Definitely not murdering my rival in Ohio. <laughs> in the end, the police did not have to do much of investigating to connect Mooney to Hardy's murder. A restaurant owner soon came forward claiming an electrician named Elmo Florence had flat out bragged him that he was a professional hitman and was hired by John Mooney to kill Hardy. Elmo? Yeah, old Elmo. What's the guy's name in, uh, in uh, Shawshank? Elmo Blatt. Yeah, this was Elmo Florence. I hope he had like a really high pitched voice too. Uh, Florence even provided specific details that day that only the killer could have known. So he and Mooney were both indicted and given life sentences for their roles in Hardy's murder. Florence later made the dubious claim that Mooney only hired him to force Hardy to sign lease papers at gunpoint, and that Hardy was killed when the gun went off accidentally. Mm. Two years after his conviction, Mooney managed to escape from prison. I don't pizza guys are wirely. And was on the run until his case were profiled on Unsolved Mysteries in 1989. Viewers' tips led to Mooney's arrest, 
He was living under a new identity in Arizona, and he was promptly sent back to prison. Now, I know... He's a guy escaped from prison. Yeah. I know you're a parent of an athlete. Yes. And you would do anything for your daughter. Yes. But would you hire someone to kill a rival swimmer? (laughs) Jesus, no. (laughs) I don't think so. Well, Shanna Holloway... 14. I remember this. <laughs> she was disappointed to learn that she was not going to be making her high school cheerleading squad in Channel View, Texas. Instead, she the spot went to another girl named Amber Heath. The situation would have been anything more than standard high school drama, but Shana's mother, one Wanda Holloway, was devastated by the news. Shana actually had uh, never had much desire to become a cheerleader, but since Wanda was raised with a strict, ba- a strict Baptist background and was never allowed to try out for the cheerleading squad when she was a teenager, she wanted to live vicariously through her daughter. In fact, Wanda Holloway was willing to commit murder to make sure she Jeez. could. Wanda approached Terry Harper, the brother of her ex-husband, and asked him to help her procure the services of a hitman. Wanda wanted to have Amber Heath's mother murdered, believing that Amber would be so devastated by her mother's death that she would have to leave the cheerleading squad. Oh, she at least she had a heart and didn't want to kill a little girl. Yeah, didn't want to yeah. kill a 14-year-old, but yeah. would kill the kid's mom. <laughs> to make her really, really sad. Yeah. Uh, Wander's former brother-in-law was disturbed by this proposal, and he called the cops. <laughs> Thank you. Good job, man. Uh, they asked Terry to wear a wire during his subsequent conversations with Wanda. On January 30th, 1991, the day after Wanda was recorded providing Terry with a down payment for a hitman, she was arrested and charged with solicitation to commit capital murder. Wanda was initially convicted of the crime and sentenced to 15 years in prison, but the later the verdict was overturned. Really? After her second trial, Wanda decided to plead no contest for a reduced sentence of 10 years. She was released after serving only six months and spent the remainder of her sentence on probation. Wow. I mean, nobody actually died. Come on. And she wasn't going to kill the kid. She's not heartless. <laughs> she just wanted yeah, her daughter to be a cheerleader. They go light on you if, if your plans go, you know, if you don't, don't actually do <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were going to put you in jail, but your plans went awry. <laughs> Doris Cineros was seemingly an ordinary suburban housewife who lived with her husband and five children in Brownsville, Texas. However, things took a shocking turn when Dora's youngest daughter, Christina, broke up with her 18-year-old boyfriend, Joey Fisher. Christina seemed very heartbroken by the split, and Dora became obsessed with bringing an end to her daughter's unhappiness. Uh-huh. She went so far as to offer Joey $500 to get back with Christina. Pay him? Yeah. <laughs> it must have been really bad with Christina. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you $500 to go back to but. He ultimately refused. So on the morning of March 3rd, 1993, Joey was shot twice in the driveway outside his home. Yikes. A strange business card was found at the scene, which led police to an unlikely source of un- for uncovering the truth behind the murder, a 73-year-old fortune teller named Maria Martinez. <laughs> One of Martinez's most frequent customers happened to be Dora Cineros. After her daughter's breakup, Dora had gone to the fortune teller in order to cast a fatal spell on Christina's ex-boyfriend. Instead, Martinez turned to another customer who happened to be named Daniel Garza, who helped acquire the services of two Mexican hitmen. A fatal spell. Yeah. Did she pay this uh, Uh, psychic? uh, Dora would end up paying the hitmen about $3,000 to murder Joey Fisher. In 1994, Dora Cineros and Daniel Garza both received life sentences for their roles in the crime. Maria Martinez wound up spending six years in prison, but the two alleged government went back to Mexico and were never charged. Wow. In 1996, Dora's conviction was overturned on appeal because an error had been made by the prosecution with their jury instructions. Nevertheless, Dora Cineros went back on trial two years later and received another life sentence. So they got her at that time. This time, the conviction held up and she remains incarcerated. 
Wow. You think she went to this fortune teller? The fortune teller would have told you, if we hire these hitmen, we're going to yeah. kill this guy, but you're going to go to jail. I'm looking at my crystal ball here. That's not looking good. And finally, <clears throat> August 2nd, 1976, a gunman broke into the home of Fort, in Fort Worth, Worth, Texas. What's going on in Texas? It's like the fourth or fifth one yeah, of people getting hired to murder people in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know a lot of uh, OK Corral gunfight stuff going on there in a little Lone Star State, but come on. Uh, they shot 12-year-old Andrea Wilborn to death, Andrea's mother, Priscilla Davis. Uh, she soon uh, soon came home alongside her boyfriend, Stan Farr, and they also were both shot as well. Wounded Priscilla managed to flee the scene and survive, but a neighbor was shot and paralyzed by the gunman while attempting to help her. Oh. At the time, Priscilla was in divorce proceedings with her estranged husband, a billionaire oil baron named T. Cullen Davis. Yes. Priscilla identified Cullen as the gunman, and he would become, and he would become the wealthiest man in American history to go on trial for murder. However, Cullen was acquitted as the jury did not believe a billionaire would go to the trouble of performing a home invasion murder himself. Uh, this would be an eerie foreshadowing to Cullen T. Davis's excellent uh, T. Cullen Davis's next brush with the law. So he got acquitted for that one. 1978, Cullen was arrested for attempting to acquire the services of a hitman to murder both Priscilla and the judge in their divorce litigation. That's right. He went to the well for a second time. Wow. Every time, I tell you, you get away with it once again. Yeah. Just coast. You're a billionaire. Yeah, just straight up and fly right. A Cullen had been set up by an elaborate sting operation. The so-called hitman was an undercover FBI informant secretly recording their conversation. Since recording evidence now exists of Cullen orchestrating a murder-for-hire plot, the conviction seemed inevitable. But guess what? Cullen is super rich. His first trial ended with a hung jury, but remarkably, Cullen would be acquitted the second time around. A forensic discourse uh, analysis was performed on the recorded Cullen's conversation with the informant. The defense managed to convince the jury that Cullen was merely hiring the man to spy on his ex-wife, the judge, uh, and was not soliciting murder. This created enough reasonable doubt for a not guilty verdict, and T. Cullen Davis remained a free man. Yeah, I don't know if he's still alive. I don't think he is, but also... Mm-hmm. Yeah, forensic analysis and also billions of dollars is yeah. why he's not yeah. in jail. You, got, you, you bought a forensic guy and uh, got you out of jail. All right. Let me return our guest, J. Michael Waller, former CIA operative who has written a book called Big Intel, how CIA and FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. It should be interesting. Stick around. This is the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. Girls and boys in poverty around the world are dreaming of a better life. Thanks to Children International and friends like you, dreams are coming true. Together we help children to learn, grow, and thrive. Learn more at children.org. on our guest, uh, J. Michael Waller, CIA, former CIA guy, CIA guy. Um, very interesting stuff. Delta's uh, building a, they have a Delta lounge, you know, most airlines have a, or, you know, like your American Express will have a lounge at a big, uh, big airport. Now they they already have airport lounges. They're getting ready to announce a higher tier, a premium lounge at uh, JFK. Um, it's thirty eight thousand square feet, full service, brasserie, market, dedicated wellness area. Uh, no two premium lounges will be alike. They're going to build one in L.A., one in Boston. Uh, the it, it's a Something they've been doing 
They've announced an overhaul of the Sky Club access guidelines. They, they access to the Sky Club uh, and American Express card holders will no longer get unlimited access to the airline's airport lounges uh, in the three hours leading up to their departure. Instead, annual fees will range from five fifty to six ninety five. The limited number of club units upgrades will no longer be determined by miles traveled, but by annual spend with the airline. I think that's a bad business decision. They walk back some of the charges after the traveler started to balk about it, trimming down thresholds to earn elite status. Uh, even the CEO said we went a little too far with that. Uh. But unfettered lounge access can be attained by spending at least seventy-five grand a year on your Amex card in a single calendar year. Jeez. Delta's vice president of the Sky Club operation said uh, it's not enough to have beautiful spaces, exceptional offerings. Premium lounge customers should feel welcomed and known when they walk in the door, just as they would at their favorite hotel or restaurant. I don't, you have a, I only have, <clears throat> I have a couple of places where I'm recognized <clears throat> and known, Fiddlers and Las Bottas. Oh, and the uh, Jersey Mike's near my house. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, some people are uh, considering abandoning the airline over Sky Miles loyalty fiasco. Amex rolled out a bunch of business updates to the Delta Sky Miles credit card including a uh, $200 flight credit after a certain amount of spending. Uh, man, I've, I've been in a couple of them. Uh, Amex lounges, they weren't, I mean, they're nice, but, you know, it's kind of snooty, I guess, compared to just h- hanging out at the TGIFs or the Chili's or the bar. Yeah, I mean. The only difference is, it's, you know, all the stuff is free, I think. I don't spend seventy five grand on my Amex card a year. That's for sure. Thirty eight thousand square foot lounge. You can get like a massage in there, like a you know a seated chair massage deal. That'd be a nice little perk. Free neck pillow. Yeah, I mean, just a couple shots ahead of time. I think would be fine. <laughs> yeah, too, too crazy. Just like a Long Island iced tea fountain that they uh, you fill her up and uh, have a couple of belts. Uh, I remember paying for my drinks, though, when I was in this lounge. Not this Delta lounge. But it wasn't wasn't like, you know, everybody gets a freebie. Uh, um, I didn't know this, but Idaho is the only state that has a law that bans cannibalism. But it's not for what you think. It's It's the state's fears about the rise in human composting. Uh, you know, uh, they want to expand the cannibalism ban. They told the legislative committee that, that she's worried about uh, Heather Scott, the representative. She's worried about the possibility that people are eating other people. It's going to be normalized at some point, the way our society is going, the direction we're going. Idaho is the only state to outlaw cannibalism. Other states have laws targeting abuse or desecration of a corpse, which is, you know, probably enough. Her bill would... Uh, add to it the prohibition of cannibalism, a ban on giving someone else the flesh or blood of a human. She's been disturbed by the practice of human composting, which has been legalized in several states uh, as another option for dealing with remains that may be more suitable than other than burial methods to re- reduce their carbon footprint. 
But you said outlawing composting would require overhauling rules for morticians. So instead, focused on deliberately giving another person human flesh. She said, I don't, I don't see that in my Home Depot stores. Human composting is where you put your dead loved one, and uh, they decompose, and it turns it into soil, and they give the soil back to you, you know? And so you go, you plant a tree, and it's grandma's tree, and we, we use some grandma down there. Yeah, use little grandma bits. Uh, she said she was on an airplane over the summer, watched a clip from a television show displaying a chef feeding a human, feeding human flesh in sausage to contestants, which inspired her to do something about it. So what is she more worried about? I think she's just afraid that like the old compost soil is going to be people and then you're going to be eating people by accident. Like 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 you've ate a tomato from uh, a, a tomato plant that was fertilized with your grandma's compost. That, yeah, that's like eating a human. Yeah. Hey, Heather, I sent you contact info. Oh. Um, the story was a hoax, as it turns out, the TV show that she was watching. Um, but that is really, I mean, what does she think is in the compost now? It could be dead animals, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's poop now. <clears throat> right. Is, <laughs> you know, depending on who, what, ate what, and... She out. She said outlawing composting would require overhauling rules for morticians, so instead focused on deliberately giving a, a, giving another person human flesh. That's that's just. I mean, that, that's that's what we're worried about in Idaho. You might get a uh, a salad's got some cherry tomatoes that were grown in uh, human compost soil. I mean, if you're having a salad, you're getting a combination now. Like, you, you might have had a little Marge made the tomatoes, a little Tom was the lettuce. Uh, it's like a people of du, du jour there and there. Um, I, I don't... Nothing else is going on in, Ohio, in Idaho right now? It's Idaho. Well, that's uh, good legislation there, <clears throat> lady. Uh, if you uh, were headed to uh, Purdue University... Um, thinking you're going to per- participate in the uh, bondage workshop. It's been uh, scrubbed. Indiana University, Purdue, Indianapolis reported, uh, reportedly plan to offer an intro to bondage, free workshop for all students. However, the university quietly walked it back. Pushback from parents. <laughs> Your kid is 18 if they're in college. Yeah, I mean, if they want to do a bondage course, they want to do a bondage course. Uh, they uh, the Post reported that the, quote, Hoosier Handcuff Symposium was slated to be led by a national rope presenter named Finch, whose bio boasts of a Ph.D.-level mastery of basic negotiation, the anatomy of the arm, as well as the anatomy of the hip, groin, and upper leg. <laughs> He's good at tying people up. Yeah. Citing uh, the assistant director of the Office of Health and Wellness, R- Ryan Anderson, the Collegiate Commons reported it'll be an hour-long uh, workshop with the first portion being our instructor, Finch, talking about basic bondage techniques, skills, and safety, consent, and communication with the bond with bondage in general. And in general, demonstrating the new ties on her partner. A few ties. The part of the workshop will be an opportunity for participants based on comfortability to practice basic ties demonstrated by our instructor. Is that Mr. Waller? Yes, I think so. Uh, almost. Oh, okay, we'll put a moment with it. I'm excited about this this interview. He's former CIA. 
What's is the, he's going on, he's on the Heather show right now? Yeah. <laughs> Once he's done with the Heather show, have her sauce moment here. Go. All right. Here Here's our guest, ladies and gentlemen, J. Michael, Michael Waller. He's the author of Big Intel, how the CIA and FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. Mr. Waller, how are you? Hey, good to be with you. I'm excited about this. This is the kind of stuff I really, uh, uh, I find intriguing, very interesting. Most people today know that our Department of Justice has weaponized uh, segments of it. Most people believe it's just the CIA, just the FBI. Um, but I think that most people, uh, Michael, believe that this is a subversion of the FBI and CIA is a recent phenomenon, like maybe in the last 10, 20 years. But uh, according to your book, it, it started way longer than that. It did, not so much with the FBI, but certainly with the CIA and our foreign intelligence services. It's, it started during World War II. Um, and when you say... And then it, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, go on. You said the left... Oh, I could go on forever. Yeah, 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 after yeah. I yeah. away. <laughs> um, what was the impetus, the very beginning? Can you trace it back to that level? Well, for the, for the CIA, it started in World War II when we were recruiting a new intelligence service, and we recruited a lot of Communist Party members who were Soviet agents. They weren't just, you know, had a different idea. They were actually working for Stalin's victory, not only over Hitler, but over us after defeating Hitler. And they went into the Office of Strategic Services, which was our first intelligence service. Well, that was disbanded after World War II, and then they went into the State Department and other government branches, and and some including into the CIA, and then and into academia, where they then developed theories on international relations to teach the next crops of intelligence officers and analysts and government officials. That's that in a nutshell. The FBI resisted a lot until about the past, uh, oh, uh, 15 years. All right. Um you, you speak of the um, uh, of an outfit known as the Frankfurt School, uh, a network of Marxist academic agitators. Are these the people you're talking about? Yeah, and that was the origin of the first infiltration of our intelligence during World War II. This was a this was a set up by the Soviets as one of the very first Soviet active measures campaign in in uh, 1922 in Moscow at the Marx Engels Institute. And that was to create a school in Germany of intellectuals that would take Marxism, but not overthrow society from a violent revolutionary perspective, but to take it over by by destroying the culture. So you're destroying people's sense of love of country. Uh, you're destroying their sense of of, uh, of uh, identification with religion, with the church, with with family. These things were all seen as repressive. So countries were repressive. Parliaments were repressive. Uh, uh, church was repressive, morals are repressive, parents are repressive. And then beneath that, you know, anyone who is, you know, any white person is then repressive. And so anyone who's a part of the Judeo-Christian ethic, that's oppressive. So we have to go back and resist all this, organize together among the repressed, uh, aggrieved groups, and then fight them. So that's cultural Marxism. And that's what the Frankfurt School was done to do to destroy Germany. But then we took them in as refugees. Where they came to destroy us. <laughs> um, the way that our uh, Department of Justice, and I don't know if that's the uh, the uh, the head of the snake or not, um, but w- w- you say the twenties and maybe after World War Two, where, where those times in which our uh, these three letter outfits were um, weaponized against our own people, uh, uh, citizens of the United States, or were you talking about foreign affairs? Well, that was foreign affairs for the CIA, which by law is not supposed to be operating against Americans 
right. in America. Uh, the FBI was a different thing. It, it, J. Edgar Hoover ran it for 48 years. But when he was a, a young uh, lawyer in the Justice Department right after World War II, 25 years old, he headed up what was called the Radical Division. And he had the job that I would love to identify all the foreign Marxists, radical socialists, communists, and anarchists who were here to overthrow our country and to deport them back to Russia. I'm all about that. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. So, so, and so he is starting then, uh, you know, that's how he got his start. So it was not as a lawman fighting gangsters. It was his role was to fight Marxists and anarchists and communists and anyone who was out to overthrow our government. Right. It sounds fair. Well, there was a group that was set up specifically to oppose him, and that group was called the American Civil Liberties Union uh, back in the early 1920s yeah. to provide legal support to these communists and anarchists. And America was beset with anarchist terrorist violence, so they assassinated President McKinley, and that made Teddy Roosevelt president uh, after they assassinated It was an anarchist who assassinated him. You had uh, anarchist bombings and communist violence. Um, even before the Bolshevik Revolution in the United States, and then trying to sabotage us during World War One. Leon Trotsky was in New York City right. before we entered World War One to try to sabotage us. So this is this was nothing new, but we didn't have a really a federal, we didn't have a big federal central government until Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal, and that's when he he elevated. J. Edgar Hoover's office at the Justice Department, which was now the Bureau of Investigation, he, he elevated it to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which is what we have today. Um, so we've when people talk about there's hearings about this, lawsuits about it uh, uh, against the Biden administration for weaponizing the government. Um, when do we see the FBI begin to be used by uh, the party in power against their political opponents? Because this can't be the first time this uh, the job they're trying to do on Trump. Oh, no, it happened from the start. It, President um, uh, Warren Harding, he was elected in 1920. He used the Bureau of Investigation, this was before Hoover, to spy on his political opponents. He was a Republican. And then you had two more Republicans, Coolidge and, and President Herbert Hoover, no relation. And then Franklin Roosevelt, the big Democrat, used the FBI to spy on not only his political opponents, but on his friend. Who's that? And, and Roosevelt loved it. When when Jay, he would get, have J. Edgar Hoover come in and give him briefings of all the illicit sex activity of his his adversaries in Congress, and he, but it was like to get his kicks almost. It was really a weird thing. Uh, he also spied on Eleanor Roosevelt's appointment secretary, and Eleanor Roosevelt wrote a very nasty letter to Hoover saying that he was setting up a Gestapo. Wow. Um, but of course, she was a Stalin sympathizer, so Hoover yeah. was right to investigate that person. Wow, all the way back to Warren G. Harding. I, I've heard tales of uh, LBJ bugging an airplane once to get some information using the FBI. Does the FBI, uh, I know the, 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 the office, uh, the Oval Office, um, uh, nominates the, uh, the head of the DOJ or, you know, uh, your Merrick Garland type. Uh, so there, that's not an elected position. And Merrick Garland turns around and, and nominates or, or hires or whoever he wants to. Uh, so are we to assume, Mr. Uh, Waller, that, that whoever's in that office is in charge, uh, they, they get the key to the DOJ, to the, you know, to the weaponizing key when, when the Oval Office changes hands, or is it strictly uh, a Democrat thing now? It seems to be, uh, it seems to be to most people a Democrat thing. 
Well, yeah, Truman and Eisenhower did not weaponize the FBI. The Kennedy brothers did. They 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 hated Hoover, but they wanted to use him as their own enforcer. LBJ loved it, and he really deployed Hoover. So Hoover was really supporting any president. Nixon, who who liked Hoover and who knew him since the forties, uh, knew the danger and, and wanted to get rid of him. And then Hoover Hoover died. Uh, but then it was uh, F senior FBI agents who overthrew Nixon yeah. by leaking all the Watergate stuff to the Washington Post. So you had this weaponization taking place, but it was only directed against. Only, I mean, in quotes, directed against individual politicians, you know, or individual democratically elected leaders, but it was not weaponized against the American public at large the way it is now. At what level do does I mean the FBI? I like to think that there's hundreds of thousands of uh, you know average FBI guys that are aren't corrupt that are doing their job and are and are really uh, you know uh, great um, law enforcement officers. But at what level does this corruption come from? And, and, it's, and is everyone there of, uh, uh, aware of it? It comes from a few levels. I know I've known people in the Bureau for a long, long time, and I still know them in there, and I like a lot of them. Uh, and they're you know from every walk of life, and they're trying to do their job. But if you're in a system now that, that since 9-11, a whole different, it, it became centralized, and it became bureaucratized even more, and you had to have all this box checking in order to get promoted. Well, imagine then when someone like um, uh, Obama becomes president, and then he puts in his radical attorney general, the Merrick Garland equivalent, and then now he weaponizes the bureau, but the bureau bureaucratically says you have to go by all these different criteria, and then they add criteria. So diversity, equity, and inclusion became under yeah. Obama and then under 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 Christopher Ray, a, quote, core function of the FBI on rank with defending the Constitution. Unbelievable. Uh, I think most You're of You're not going to get promoted unless you go along and right. actively participate. Right, right. Uh, I think most people became aware, the, the January 6th investigation, uh, you know, January 6th itself, when most people started to learn that there were agents that had infiltrated Proud Boys, agents that had infiltrated uh, the other groups, uh, and the agents undercover on the ground, uh, maybe spurring on some violence, exciting people like this. Uh, I think that's the point where most people said, I can't believe that my FBI did this. And then we learned that they were involved. Uh, that type of war, the, the, the dragnet they used afterwards to, to get people's bank records. If you were on a bus that was anywhere in the near the DC area, you were going to be arrested and investigated. Uh, that's when I, I think when Americans think that their, their FBI's turned against them. Do you think that was a little aggressive the way that January 6th was handled? Oh, absolutely. And the fact that, okay, so the Capitol Police don't have their own intelligence collection capabilities. They get everything from the FBI and the Secret Service and DHS. So, so they were those. They police chief uh, Dave Sun, who was the Capitol yeah. Police chief, didn't get these warnings in advance. His underling, who was in charge of intelligence, did get warnings, but she didn't pass them on to him. Hmm. Her, her name was Yogananda um, Pittman, and and she's gone now. She got a nice Nancy Pelosi got her a great job as as a police chief of University of California Berkeley, oh, making nice. hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, wow. so. So you, you had this, um, there, there's no firm proof, even though there's a lot of smoking guns on this, there's, there's a lot of strong indicators. So we've got a high degree of confidence that there was federal involvement in, in the organizing and provoking, kind of like the, uh, 
the, the kidnapping plot against the Michigan governor, uh, Whitman. You know, it was, yeah. it was all FBI agents running it, paying these doofuses to do the job. And then, so it was like most of the people involved were FBI informants. So when you have the FBI director and, and the head of the national security division, who's in a position to know she was running the right personnel, they successively go to the oversight committees, and the senators ask them, as Ted Cruz did directly, was were any FBI assets or agents involved in the planning or execution of criminal acts of violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th? It's a yes or no question. Right. And the FBI won't say no. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bit aggravating. What are we left to conclude? Right. I mean, it's the number one thing. You, that's what, instantly everyone concludes that there were. I mean, why did you? If you said no, uh, we would, you know, at least have reason to believe there weren't any because the director said no, but he can't even say no, which means yes, in most people's opinion. Yeah. And it's not even like, well, how many were there? Because let's say, okay, well, we need informants, then there with these radical groups so that we know what's happening. That's understandable. Yeah. Not, so you, you can't infiltrate organized crime unless you're in tight with gangsters. That's a sick thing, but it's understandable. That's how you bust them up. Right. But you can at least say, it's not like the question where how many did you have? That would reveal yes. sensitive law enforcement matters. It's that we're any there, yes or no. It's like, and they won't answer like for, for, for three years now. Yeah, that's insane. It's three years. This is, we're and, talking about- and, and instead they're attacking. And then, and then Chris Ray, the FBI director, leaves a Senate hearing when he's being asked these things. Just, hey, <laughs> sorry, I have to go and catch a flight. Oh, like you didn't know that the hearing was going to be here and you were going to ask me. <laughs> he doesn't go, go commercial. He has his own Gulfstream executive jet that, that he tells it went to fly, not vice versa. So he just gives the finger to the to the Senate Oversight Committee because he knows he can get away with it. Right. Uh, J. Michael Waller, we're talking to a former uh, CIA guy. His uh, book is called Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains. If you'd like to, and I, I can't wait to read it, uh, Michael. I think this stuff really intrigues me. Uh, before we wind up, because we run out of time, how do we fix this? How do we get back our intelligence agencies back to uh, a, a, a non-political uh, place? Well, in Big Intel, I give two chapters to that. Yeah. And, and really, the, the big thing that lies, and I didn't emphasize it enough in that one chapter, where every citizen has a role now this election year and every election year, when we vote for our sheriffs, how many of us really think of, who am I going to vote for for sheriff this year? You know, It's the top law enforcement officer in the county or the other jurisdiction, and they're answerable to the public because they're directly elected. But they have a constitutional authority to limit and even prevent the FBI and other federal agents from either coming into their areas of jurisdiction or for cooperating with them. So the, the Bureau or ATF or anybody else cannot function effectively unless the local sheriff is providing the uh-huh. eyes and ears and even deputizing federal agents to come in and, and work under state laws. Because the feds can't come in and enforce state laws unless they're deputized by the sheriff. So everybody should ask every sheriff candidate, what are you doing to limit what the FBI can do to abuse us Please don't deputize any of them unless it's some extreme case where, you know, life or death or whatever that's legitimate. And promise us that you won't do this. If you need public support for doing the right thing, please let us know and we'll help you. But you have to make these commitments to us and then and then vote for your sheriffs that way. Good advice. Uh, Jay Michael Waller, the book, Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I can get it at Amazon, I'm sure, right? Anywhere online plus Costco. Okay. 
Man, uh, we're gonna have to do this again where we spend more time uh, chatting about the book. I, I, I'm so intrigued by it, uh, Michael. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Let's do it. It was fun. Thank All right. you. We'll get. I'll have uh, my producer get with you, with your people. Thank you. Great. See ya. Uh, awesome. Who do we got? Oh, movie man, Mike. Yep. And I have something I have to do too. <clears throat> I would suggest maybe a shorter title, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but the man's a fun talk. Yeah, that's uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff I did not know. I didn't, you know, I didn't know the dates and the times and how long and uh, none of that stuff. But I am uh, going to order this book in the break. All right, uh, Movie Man Mike is next. It's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. WFYY HD3 Windermere, WXUS HD3, W266DY Dunellen, WZLB Valparaiso, Florida Man Radio. Friday, Movie Man Mike joins us. You can read his reviews uh, in Newsmax Magazine at Epic Times and also at thefederalist.com and here on the Shannon Berg Show. What's going on, buddy? Yeah. Oh, sorry. There you go. What's happening? I'm uh, I'm doing great. This is, uh, this is a week that's generally reserved for Super Bowl counter-programming uh, and also for Valentine's Day. Which is odd because Valentine's Day doesn't show up until Wednesday of next week, but they still have the Super Bowl that they want to counter program against. And uh, I have to say, most of the time, these movies suck bad. And the ones that we got coming out this week aren't that bad. So if you want to not watch the Super Bowl, and I, 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 I have no dog in this fight with the Super Bowl, and it's all going to be about Taylor Swift. So, um, there's some good choices out there. Uh, first, you, some, uh, a caller asked about the uh, Naked Gun reboot, reboot. It's coming out in the fall uh, with Liam Neeson playing the Leslie uh, character original, who played originally. And uh, I understand Seth MacFarlane is involved in the writing. So I'm looking forward to that. I think Liam Neeson has a great comic untapped potential. And uh, it's been long ago and far away since the original series was out there so i'm looking forward to it uh to springboard on what uh, easy was saying about the uh, wanda holloway character there were two movies made about her almost immediately one in 1992 uh on abc called uh, willing to kill the texas cheerleader story <laughs> it's that it starred uh leslie ann warren in the title role and uh i like me some leslie ann warren she was on mission impossible She's like a cross between Susan Sarandon and Sigourney Weaver. Oh. Very pretty woman. Uh, but a much better version came out a year later in 93 on HBO called The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleading Murdering Bomb. <laughs> it's a little lengthy. Uh, with, and Holly Hunter won a bunch of awards as uh, uh, Wanda Holloway. And you can get those on various outlets. You, you mentioned earlier this week a new Kevin Spacey movie. It's called Peter 5-8. And I looked into it. It's coming out on March 22nd. And it's being uh, distributed by Invincible Films that I had never heard of. Hmm. I did a deep search. I can't find anything that this studio has produced thus far. But I did find a trailer. And there's kind of a plumped up Kevin Spacey with a lot of black shoe polish in his hair. 
who who's a high paid assassin who comes into hijinks in some small town, and that's about all I could make of it. Hmm. Uh, is it a comeback? No, it's a start of a comeback. I mean, he was cleared of all kinds of crimes, mostly because he bumped people off. They were going to huh. testify him. So uh, I I don't really care much about it. And I put out a feeler to Invincible Films to see if I could get a screener. Uh, I put the chances on that right now about 50-50. But I'll keep you updated. All right. Uh, out this week on Netflix is called Shane Gillis, Beautiful Dogs. Have you heard of Shane Gillis? Oh, yeah. I'm a fan. Big fan. Okay, well, this new special, uh, I was I saw somewhere that he did a, a couple Donald Trump impersonations. Oh man, he, he has a kick-ass Donald Trump. He does. Oh my uh, God, it's incredible. And you barely see it in this show. <laughs> you got to wait forty-four minutes into the special before he does Trump, and then it's only a, a, a few minutes or so, and it's it's. It's pretty funny. Oh. Uh, big story behind this guy, though. He was hired in 2019 yeah. to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And they hired him. And then somebody decided after the fact to do some social media background. And he uh, used a couple of bad racial slurs in his you know, social media. And they fired him before he even got on TV. Yep. But he got the the last word because he has been hired to be the host. Yeah, so he's not good enough to be uh, a cast member, but uh, you know his his podcast, his stand up, has got him such recognition right now that they're bringing him in to help the slumping ratings over there. Right. So I, you know, I'd rather be a host than a cast member if I was put into that situation. So he's going to be host on the twenty uh, fourth on SNL. My pick of the week, first choice, Enjo which is a uh, documentary about Enjo Morricone, Italian composer, musician. Uh, done, he, this guy made 470 musical scores. That wow. is just amazing. He worked from ev for every major European director, uh, also with Clint Eastwood. He won his one and only Oscar for scoring Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight, which is... Oh. Not really Tarantino's best movie, uh, but this is an exhausting, when I say exhausting, I mean it that way, two-hour and 47-minute documentary. Um, and he's interviewing or interviewed by uh, Eastwood, uh, Tarantino, Oliver Stone, and even Bruce Springsteen. And I liked it a lot, but it could have been trimmed a little bit. That's a really, really long time for a documentary. Uh, unless you split it up into like a little mini series, but this is a feature film that's playing in theaters, and I liked it a lot. Again, I'm just nicking it for the running time. Four out of five, ninety four percent with the critics, one hundred percent with audiences, and it's called again Enjo. Uh, one of these rom coms, couple uh, to get to here, Lisa Frankenstein, <laughs> and I loved it just because of the title. I don't care what it's about. It's okay. They're going to do Fra something on the uh, Frankenstein riff. And it's directed by Zelda Williams. Have you ever heard of her? No, I haven't. She's no? Robin Williams' daughter. Oh, easy knew that. I didn't. And, and there's, uh, she's been, been in some movies doing bit parts, but this is her first film as a director uh, with a script written by Diablo Cody who won, won the Oscar for Juno back in the 2000s. And it's kind of a riff on Edward Scissorhands and Heathers and uh, more recent Warm Bodies. 
where this kind of nerdy girl gets in with the bad boy. But in this case, he's actually a corpse. Uh. And it it's kind of odd. It, it, they try to do horror with humor, and it doesn't always come off. But I liked it more than I didn't like it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, three out of five. Fifty-one percent critics and eighty-two uh, percent audiences. Is so, that a theater release? Yeah, that's a theatrical release. Again, Lisa Frankenstein, Suncoast. I didn't know what to make of this thing. This is a movie with Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney and a newcomer called Nico Parker. And Parker plays this girl whose brother, who was also the daughter of the Linney character, is in a coma and is about to die. Okay. So what do you do with that? Well, the the Linny character kind of blames the little girl for the boy's problem, which doesn't make sense. And she's a real bitch. And Laura Linney, who was in Ozark, she plays a bitch real well. Um, and then Woody Harrelson shows up as this guy on the side who's offering sage advice to this teen who every time they talk. Yeah, I'm named after my mother because uh, uh, she died the day I was born. And then somebody else died when I was three on my birthday. So it's trying to mix, again, kind of this macabre subject matter with kind of like an offbeat human interest thing. And it worked, but I not everybody is going to like it. You're not going to like the mix of the downer material with the comedy material with the coming of age stuff. Uh, three and a half out of five, only because it was ballsy with its execution and it did a lot of different stuff. Uh, 72% critics, 93% with audiences, and that is on Hulu. And again, it's called Sun Coast. Sun Coast. Sun Coast, one word. I have a Sun Coast uh, Beverages uh, illuminated clock <clears throat> in my uh, office at home. Is that the name of a beverage company? It, you, it's, it's, uh, it used to be, yeah. I bought it uh, at an antique joint in uh, Atlanta. There's uh, another rom-com called Upgraded, which... Uh, Features a couple of people I'd never heard of and Marissa Tomei. And Marissa Tomei uh, shows up barely recognizable as this very hoity-toity, bitchy advertising executive. Kind of modeled after the Meryl Streep character in Devil Wears Prada. Uh Just very demanding, just unrelentlessly cruel. And she has her underling go to London to do some work for she's in advertising and fashion and on the way over this girl meets a guy who's living in london and she passes herself off as her boss because he she wants to impress this guy she's a big wig she's the youngest ad executive ever and it's a good setup for again a romantic comedy and uh, you know, this whole boy wins girl, boy loses girl. But in this case, it's the other way around. The girl wins, the boy loses the boy. Uh, and there was enough of it that, that I liked about it that took it out of like a regular crappy old romantic comedy thing. But it's nothing I would rush out to see. But, you you know, you could do a lot worse. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, three out of five for me, 72 percent critics. And 81% with audiences, and uh, it's on Prime, so you don't have to leave the house to see it. The best one of the week, as far as these rom-coms go, is called... uh, Is it rom-com season right now? Well, that's what happens around... um, Super Bowl uh, time? Well, Super Bowl and Valentine's Day. 
Yeah. And usually they come up with these very triacly, oversweet, stupid, plotted movies. And these, the two I mentioned in this third one I'm going to mention are kind of smart. They're not stupid. They're not completely predictable. They're not completely likable either. Uh, and the, 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 the demographic for these movies, which is generally over 20 single females with uh, multiple cats, are the people who go see these movies. Um, and Marmalade is not really like that, although it does involve romance. And it stars a guy I never heard of and an actress named Camilla Marone, uh, who is in uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. Uh, oh, yeah. Rock and, yeah, that's a good movie. Thing. Yeah, and she's uh, most famous for being uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's ex-girlfriend. Uh, she was with him for like four or five years, which is a long time for Leo. Yeah, uh, she turned 25, she, so. Yeah, she, she reached her expiration date, and yeah. boom, that's it. She was gone. I could hardly recognize her. She dropped a lot of weight. Uh, she did it, has a really bad blonde dye job, and she's a psychopath. <laughs> and she runs into this guy uh, who's kind of stupid uh, but very malleable, and she gets him to go along with her to just rob a bunch of banks and convenience stores and what have you under the auspice that they're going to get enough money to buy his mother medication that she can't afford. Huh. Okay, that's kind of a flimsy premise, but it works good because she's just such a wing nut. She sells it real good. It's like Bonnie and Clyde on acid without, you know, blood-soaked ending. Uh, and... Uh, that's in theaters on Voodoo and Prime. Uh, four out of five for me, just because it was just so ballsy and out there. 71% with critics, 69% with audiences. And again, it's called Marmalade. And that springboards into our two throwback titles. Two other movies that kind of have that kind of sick and twisted romantic comedy road trip thing going on. The first one's called Something Wild. From 1986, and this is a Jonathan Demme movie. I remember this. With Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels and Ray Liotta in his uh, feature film debut, who plays a sick, sick puppy. Uh, Melanie Griffith plays this girl named Lulu, who hoodwinks Jeff Daniels, who's this button-down businessman, into uh, ditching work and going out and getting laid and doing all kinds of drugs and booze, showing up at a high school reunion under a fake name. And the only problem is that uh, the Melanie Griffith character has just dumped Ray Liotta, who is a bad motor scooter, and he's none too happy about it. Mm. This was a, a fantastic movie, and I did a little bit of research. Scorsese hired Liotta to play uh, Henry Hill in Goodfellas based on his performance in this movie. Interesting. Uh, uh, just a, a fantastic, fun, and dangerous uh, movie. Uh, four out of five for me. 91% critics, 69% audiences. That's on Voodoo, Prime, and Apple. The second throwback movie is called Nurse Betty. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. It had Renee Zellweger, Morgan Freeman, and Chris Rock in it. Like, and Greg Kinnear. No, I don't know if I remember that. And uh, it's directed by a guy named Neil Laboot, who is a, a sick 
up in his own way. But the Zellweger character plays a woman who's obsessed with a uh, soap opera starring Greg Kinnear as this sexy doctor. Freeman and Chris Rock come in and murder her husband. She sees it. She goes into shock and believes she is a character on the soap opera and sells it so well. She goes across country. She auditions. She's on the show. And you can't figure out the relationship between Morgan Freeman and Chris Rock. And they chase after her because she witnessed the murder and they got to try to knock her off. Greg Kinnear has to deal with this woman who's crazy and thinks she's actually a character in the show. And it takes all kinds of twists and turns. And again, it's very dark. There's a character in the movie that gets scalped on screen, like up close and personal scalped on screen. So it's not for the queasy and it's not really a romantic comedy because the last act goes all over the place. But it still makes sense with the ending. Would Again, you consider called, Natural Born Killers a rom-com? Uh, there's comedy in it, and it's it's between Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis. Yep. Uh, there are parts of it that were funny. And, you know, that was written by Tarantino. I did not know that. Nat- Natural Born Killers was written by Tarantino, and he turned it in, and they changed it so much from his original vision that he demanded that his name be removed from the credits. So instead of screenplay, he got a story credit. And he said that it had ne- that final movie had nothing to do with his original script. It was still there, a great movie, though. It still was. And I remember when I uh, first moved down to Atlanta, I saw it the first week that I had moved down. And I came out and I'm like, I don't know what the hell that thing was, but I liked it. And I don't want to ever see it again. Yeah. And there, there are movies like that. You're glad you saw it. Yeah, I got a lot out of it. I laughed. I cringed. I my jaw dropped. But I don't need to see it again. But there, and there was a scene in there with Rodney Dangerfield that they played up like it was a, a sitcom within a movie. Yeah, where some strange stuff was happening. Uh, yeah, and you could take comedy and put them in. There's another one that Tarantino wrote called True Romance. Yeah, with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, a lot of humor in that, a lot of violence, a lot of death. So yeah, you can throw romance into any kind of genre and make it work and make it funny. Uh, next week, there's going to be a couple of really big releases. Uh, Bob Marley, One Love. Yeah, I saw the trailers for that. I don't know how I feel and, about it. Uh, I uh, I see it on Monday. And I, I am being guardedly optimistic. This thing was supposed to come out in October of 23. And when you take a movie from the fall of one season and shift it into the winter of the following season, that's a red flag. Like, this is, it's in October, so we want this thing to get some awards notice. You know, we want to get some prestige behind this. No, that didn't happen. And... The early reviews are not good. Uh-oh. The guy who is uh, playing Bob Marley looks enough like him. Uh, and they got permission from the Marley estate to use original recordings, which is good. Uh, and, but one of the songs that, that was partially played in the trailer was not a Marley song. It sounded like a uh, a cover. Hmm. So 
I I don't know. And this next one, I wish was coming out this weekend. It would have made a lot of sense, but they didn't do it. It's coming out next week, and it's called The Dynasty, New England Patriots. Oh. It's a movie or a... No, it's a 10-part docuseries on Apple. uh, And... Not about 45 minutes an episode, so you're talking a good six to seven hours long. And I saw the first episode uh, this morning, and I liked it a lot. I don't like the Patriots. I, I think a lot of people don't like the Patriots because, you know, they just dominated football for the first 20 years of the yeah. century, and it just got boring. It's like, and the Chiefs are turning into the new Patriots. It's like, okay, they're going to go in here. They're favored. They're probably going to win. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting tired of them already. No, I don't think anybody likes dynasties that way. Mm, you had the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but there's enough uh, nudniks out there that will watch it, I think. you know. Well, I think there's going to be a, a lot of people who will want to watch it. Just because, And it's not favorable. It's not like this is a, a fawning love letter to Tom Brady. Really? No, at least in the first episode, it's it's looking at this thing through a very clear lens. There's no rose-colored glasses. Uh, and I'm going to be doing a lot of watching between now and next Friday because that's when it gets released. Uh, so we're almost out of the woods. The winter is almost over. We're going to start getting into the spring and summer season beginning around March. And uh, this frozen tundra wasteland of early late winter will be over amen uh thank you uh mike read mike's sure. uh reviews in newsmax magazine at the federalist.com and at epictimes.com it gets some hot sauce brand 25 peppers at aol.com uh still got some left yeah buddy all right got good. plenty good good to hear brother all right thank you thank you buddy talk to you, talk later. To you next week see you bud. Bye. bye all right uh, let's take our last break here. Well, no, it's not the last break. Um, when we get back, we'll get to your remarks. Uh, why did the NFL championship game Sunday make $485 million? I don't understand that. Are they talking about the AFC one because of Taylor yeah. Swift? Yes. More than likely, yeah. Yeah. She brings so much advertising dollars right now. That's true. Uh, I mean, that's the part that people aren't looking when they uh, when you look through the lens of the business side for the NFL. They're going to advertising and go, All right, I know it's the Super Bowl, but we're gonna probably going to get another probably a couple million eyes on the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, the normal advertising rates, ah, we boost them up a little bit. <laughs> I heard like 7.5 million for a 30-second spot. Yeah, they're pretty crazy. Yikes. All right, your remarks as well. It's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. Okay, man, time to be an all-star caregiver. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Be there emotionally and physically. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find care guides at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
wasn't as bad as you, yeah, yeah I don't understand how lips like you How can they like you? Can't believe people just can't see the truth How can they see the truth? They killing us right in front of our face like it's cool, yeah, yeah You don't like a country like that, you can move, yeah Got it here. Oh, maybe I did hear the Sonic Booms this morning. Eight thirty at the dot. Uh, Dragon came yeah, back. The Dragon capsule came back in. Awesome. Yeah, classic for me. You know, I grew up in that on the on that coast. And I remember the first used to it. The first time I ever heard was a uh, shuttle coming back. I was in my driveway putting brake shoes on a car, brake pads, and I heard it, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> I had no idea. You know, it was when I first got here, and I'm like, uh, I, "I got up and uh, went inside." And my wife at the time, I said, "Did you hear this?" She goes, "Yeah, what was that?" I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I turned on the TV, and then, of course, I figured it out, right? That's yeah. why I, I learned about muck fires. <laughs> like, two days after I moved here, it was a giant muck fire, and the whole my whole neighborhood was covered in smoke, and I was running around, like, where's the fire? Where's the fire? Yeah, no, I heard it. I heard that boom, boom. I was like, oh. Huh? I Googled, like, is their launch, or there's some return? Yeah, Dragon Capsule. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that sounded familiar. Then I look over, and my phone is just pinging from the neighborhood app. Oh, people yeah. freaking out. Oh, my God, what was that? It's, a, it's terrorism. Uh, we under attack. <laughs> You gonna do any betting on the uh, any uh, on the game? I uh, no, I don't ever bet. I, I I think it's a waste of money to me. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a prop bet sheet here from the Athletic. It's weird. It's like how long will it take Reba McIntyre to sing the songs uh, "Star Spangled Banner"? You got an over and under of eighty five and a half seconds. I choose over. Heather, what do you think? Over or under? For over for Reba. Yeah. Um, no, she'll be under. Mm-mm. Will she sing an acapella? No, she'll have a band. You think? Oh, but wouldn't that be nice? There have Will- only been five ever have actually done an acapella. Really? Yeah. Most of them have a backing band. Uh, will Taylor be shown on the broadcast during the national anthem? Yes. See whether or not she's got her hand over hand her heart. Over heart, yeah. Will she be shown before the final whistle wearing clothing that bears Travis Kelsey's name, number, image, or likeness? I said no on that one. Before the final? I mean, she's going to wear an 87 probably somewhere. You think? Yeah. At least uh, her, it'll probably say 87 on her jacket or something like that. Who's going to sit next to her in the box? Oh, Brittany Jason Mahomes. Kelsey, Donna Kelsey, Brittany Mahomes, or nobody? Well, somebody's going to sit next to her. Donna. Donna, I said Donna. Nah, it'll be Brittany Mahomes. Or, yeah, or just hugging all over as much as she possibly can. <laughs> Uh, which landmark are they showing the screen during the broadcast? The Vegas Welcome Sign, the Bellagio Fountains, the MGM Grand Lion, the Sphere. I think it's going to be the Sphere. Uh, the first one will be the Vegas Welcome Sign. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, will they show up uh, uh, the uh, casino floor? B-roll footage? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
will an image of SpongeBob be shown on the broadcast during the game, not during a commercial break? Yes. That's because the Nickelodeon thing? Yeah, Nickelodeon is simulcasting the game. And I don't know if they're doing like weird slime on the field stuff, things like that. So, yeah. of course, they'll have like SpongeBob pop up like, hey, you can switch over to Nickelodeon and Paramount <clears throat> for simulcast going on. Will Usher wear sunglasses during his halftime performance? Usher. I say yes. 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 Because he looks weird without him. Yeah, he does. Um, will he play his biggest hit single? Yeah. Middle. Middle? He'll will he play first, right last with You think he'll open with it? Yep. All right. That's. It's a good transition song, though. Um, yeah, but can you name other Usher songs? No. No. <laughs> Which team will score the first touchdown? Uh, San Francisco, because 49ers aren't going to score any. <laughs> Which team uh, uh, will be the first penalty called? I put holding. Pass interference. Pass interference? Go teams. Uh, <laughs> who will have a longer pass completion, uh, Brock or Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes. Who will score the first TD? McCaffrey, Kelsey, or who will score a TD? McCaffrey, Kelsey, or both? Both of them, obviously. Yeah, they both cut, score one. The first touchdown will be to uh, Kuzik, the uh, or Juzik, which I've always forget the fullback for the Forty ers Okay. Uh, what longest field goal made uh, over under forty six and a half yards? Under over, yeah. Mm, which team will win? Niners. Chiefs. What color Gatorade will be poured on the winning coach? Green, <laughs> yellow, orange, blue, purple. It'll be red. Ew. Orange. Oh, all right. Uh. Option. Then a tiebreaker is uh, what time? Pacific local time in Vegas, will the game end? It starts at 6.30? Uh, it will end at 7.15. No. No, it starts at 6.30. Yeah, but that's, that Eastern is 6.30 time. It's a, a 6.30 Eastern kickoff. Okay, yeah, let's go by whatever it is. Here. So it's it's going to be uh, Pacific time, so you take three hours off of whatever you think it's going to end here. Well, let's just choose it in that time zone or this time zone. Well, if it's going, if it ends here at six, so it starts at six, it'll end at eleven here in on East Coast. No, yeah. that's five hours with commercials and halftime show. Yeah, it'll be probably close. Four, to that. yeah, probably a four-hour game, right? Four and a half. So I say ten thirty. So I would say seven thirty uh, in Vegas time Pacific. Hmm. All right, I'll hold on to my sheet. This is a gentleman's wager. We're not. Uh... Yes, of course. Cause... <laughs> We would never do any type no. of illegal gambling on JBC. Robert. No, we would not. We wouldn't do anything to violate the rules of the FCC and other outfits. <laughs> uh, should we get to... Uh, Probably should, yes. Remarks from the Florida Man Radio app. Powered by Morris Family Farms and Organic Meats. You know the routine. Um, it's got a, uh, a great catalog of archives of stuff there all commercial free a little button a button at the bottom button at the bottom is how you can talk to us here we go ton de tona robes wands yeah afraid so i don't know anything about this i do know that some there's some signs up in my neighborhood which is not far from there that says uh these roads closed from six till nine a.m it's like some kind of road race or something but or, I don't know. Maybe, they might your, be this Harry Potter, Harry Potter people uh, geocaching. 
Yeah, the worst thing you want to do is be rolling down those uh, cobblestones and waffle a well- wizard, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if my last one went through, but I wanted to follow up with one hung low. He was wondering what was discussed in the minute that he missed. Uh, I believe it was sexual stamina and premature ejaculation. <laughs> so Biden was asked today in a interview why he keeps violating the Constitution with his policies. And uh, he just said, well, I signed a damn thing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Hey, what's up, Shando? Easy, Heather. What? Sparky352. Oh. Hey, man, I just wanted to call and tell y'all thanks for another great week of radio, man. I'm actually celebrating my mom's 77th birthday tonight. Nice. We're cooking some steaks. All right. A couple Jonathan Morris uh, New York strips and uh, enjoying ourselves out by the pool. Sweet. You guys have a great weekend. Go Chiefs. Talk to you Monday. Happy birthday to Mama352. Mm-hmm. Mr. Waller was a Really fascinating listen. Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, well, let's get him back again because this uh, he's just a wealth of information. Yeah, man. he could have gone an hour with him easily. Easily, easily. That was cool, man. Yeah, I can't wait to get that book. I, I think Vivek's got the right idea, which is, I mean, 75% of them just need to be gone. And then... Because now that you build this big force, now they got to find stuff to look for, looking for white supremacy. I mean... At least, like, like maybe all of the top bureaucrats, you know, keep some of the grunts. But, man, like, the whole thing just needs to be redone. Hey, is there any way we can get that uh, that CIA guy? Uh, can you replace movie man Mike with him? <laughs> I'm asking for a boatload of friends. Come on. We love movie man Mike. Oh, no, I think that the cool way he said to do it, so there's no, is you just, it's a random drawing, like he said, with the with the, the government, which is like, you know, if your name ends in these three letters, you're gone, and they just keep doing that, so that way it's not, you know, favoritism and which department and all that, because clearly it's, you know, the, the government's too big, all of it's too big, and once they get that big, they never get smaller, so it's the only way to do it. Oh, but he's Sam. I never knew he was sick. I just know he made a lot of great music and he was a hell of a great entertainer. We're going to miss Toby. It's a hell of a loss. He stood for the United States. It was in his music and we all enjoyed it. A bunch of his music. We'll never forget it. We'll never forget Toby. No. You guys rock. He was that little bit of country. Shannon, I believe you'll recognize all around Winter Park. There's the friendly confines. They remember oh, when yeah. the Cowboys missed their field goal and you threw the chicken wing up into the rafters. There's the Blue Oyster Bar. The waiter there, you know, the one who wears the spandex, he remembers you fondly. And of course, there's a train station there. There's a nice restroom in that park there. Yeah, Ray, they remember you there. The guy said, hey, Ray, do you know Shannon Burke? And we concurred that you have a very nice grip. Yeah, Ray. <laughs> well, guess what? If I join up and volunteer for the State Guard, Ron DeSantis will ship me to Texas for free. Well, by golly gee whiz, I get to go back to boot camp one more time and commence to killing myself for a couple eight weeks. Dear Lord, have mercy. I can't look forward to it any harder than I'm doing right now. My aunt's, my prayer's been answered. 
<laughs> Love you, babies. Get you some, Sam. Um, do you? So you, all you have to do is say, "Hey, I like to volunteer for the state guard." Like, all right, you're in. They don't do any further like talk to you. No, you know, I mean, see the your background, everything. You'll be good to go. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we'll sort of, sort of to lose Sam to Texas. That's probably what Saturday Night Live wants is him to do Trump impersonations on the show regularly. That's why they're trying to smooth the, you know, gap. Alec won't be free for him anytime soon. I, I don't like, I think Alex uh, Trump wasn't good because uh, it was done from a place of hate, you know? Yeah, he, he duck lipped it and everything. Yeah. Tried to... I mean, uh, Shane Gillis is just absolutely, it's, he's better than that guy. The Sean, what's his name on, uh, who, uh, on Twitter, he's got his own show out of, out of doing his Trump. Impre- I mean, he's good. But man, Shane Gillis. Man, come on. Hey, this is Jimmy from Tampa. For Mythman Mike, my wife's name is Lisa. So any movie named Lisa Frankenstein, I got to watch. All right. Thanks for listening to Tampa. Damn, Shannon, that was an incredible interview with the CIA guy. And uh, not for nothing, Leslie Ann Warren was also in a great movie called Clue, based based on the game. Uh, and uh, she was just, she was a smoke show. God knows what she looks like now, but she was beautiful. Who was he talking about? He said Leslie Ann Warren. Leslie Ann Warren. Hmm. Watch out, Shando. Eric, Heather, great show. Love you guys. Have a good Friday. Have a good weekend. Ray Ray out. Ray Ray out. Beedle. Beedle, beedle. She looks still pretty good for age. Yeah? Yeah. Movie Man Mike brought up Renee Zellweger. I heard for her part in the Pixar movie Shark Tale, she put on 30 pounds. That's dedication. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but she ruined her face. Yeah, she did. I mean, she had such a unique face, you know. She was very, very pretty, and she went and after. Then I think she went back and asked to get the Zellweger back. Well, I mean, she had that uh, very cute uh, girl next door look to her. You know, not uh, not the traditional knockout smoke show type of right. look, but she was very pretty. And yeah, she. She did some things to her face. That same. Uh, I don't know if Aaron Moriarty, who's from the yeah. boys. Uh, she plays Starlight on the Boys. Very, very pretty. I just saw her uh, was rewatching her face some, up. some of the old Marvel shows. She happened to show up in one of those. And again, very kind of pretty, uh, like um, Kansas type of like uh. girl next door type of thing. And then she went and did the weird lip things uh. and the sharp angles. And yeah, Zellweger was uh, uh, so uh, pretty, and 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 she just not, didn't look like her. And she wasn't old. It's not like she had any bags done or no, something. It's just a, a terrible idea. I know a guy that wears sunglasses no matter how dark it is because if he takes them off, both his eyeballs are positioned right up next to the exactly the side of his nose. And it's just, <laughs> he's a good guy. What, what, oh, his eyes are too close together? Either that or he's got the, like, the, cross double, eye. the double cross eye going on. <laughs> 
I probably wear sunglasses too if that was the case. Yeah, or that you have that eye bulging disease. You, yeah. There's medicine for that now that's advertised all over cable TV. <laughs> Is that a big, big uh, epigam, epidemic going on? Uh, apparently enough for them to put an ad on TV to make your eyes unbulge. Just finished the Putin interview. I suggest you watch the entire thing. Very informative. Be-do-be-do. Yeah, I think um, when we hear, well, we see it and we, and we hear that, you know, the current crop of uh, 50-somethings that are, hosting most cable news stations are out, you know, no more eight-figure people. Uh, and we hear the layoffs and uh, all over media. And here comes Tucker, literally just with a Twitter account. And he gets, I don't know what it is up to now. It was uh, almost 200. 162 million was the last time I think I saw it. That's uh, more than any television news ever. Ever. Yeah, I mean, he's getting eyes on a, on a two-hour interview. Uh, just imagine trying to put a two-hour interview on uh, ABC News, and there's yeah, nobody's going to be watching that. Right now, it is uh, $167 million, I think. Uh, that's pretty impressive. i got to watch the rest of it. It's so, you know, it's like watching a movie, you know? I mean, it is, uh, I think, Tucker wasn't as hard as he could have been on him. Uh, he did kind of uh, lead him along. But then also there was uh, Putin for the first kind of hour of it put together a history of the Man, entire his, his, Russian empire during that time period. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of that country's history. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Um, I'm trying to figure out if I have any. Have you seen the latest picture of the... Uh, Flying saucer. They got new ones. Uh, uh, yeah, they these were out in uh, in Mexico, uh, and there it's it's pretty damn convincing, and it, it is <clears throat> like a saucer. Ah, it looks like a trash can lid being thrown <laughs> through the way, through the air. I don't know. They. Uh, it was headed towards some, some nearby mountains near San Miguel de Tucumán. Um, she told her husband, look, here comes a black bird. And her husband said, it's not a bird. It's a flag saucer. That's no bird. That's no bird. Uh, it was the same height as the power cables there. And uh, I, I believe her. Yeah, it was playing salsa music as it flew over too. <laughs> I, I do remember seeing a, uh, a, a a photograph long, long ago, black and white, because it was the only thing available. And someone claimed it, it, that it was a flying saucer. That their their family saw it in a the park. They took us some expert photographic expert. This might have been the seventies, and they uh, were able. It was such a good focus. They were able to determine that it was a Dixie paper plate that had been tossed <laughs> so, in the air. I think it was a pie tin. <laughs> Like you could obviously actually see the indentation of that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It was a pie tit. Uh The new fad is for you to eat 10 meals a day, not three. Oh, that's too much work. Uh, look, I know that was a fad where um, I knew a dude who would make, he ate six meals a day. And he'd make them all in a Tupperware the same size. He'd go have a big stack of them. They're all exactly the same thing. Brown rice, broccoli, chicken breast. 
a little, you know, not massive amounts, but he was religious about it. And he would stack them all up in the in the fridge at work and heat one up uh, every couple of hours. That's why I was never uh, lucky enough. Medication has helped me finally lose some weight. But when I was heavier, I could never diet because I can't do it. I like if, if it's something so regimented, like always brown rice, broccoli, chicken. Uh, I can't do it. Uh, like I get so bored so quickly. Yeah. I'm like, I got to. I got to find something. I, I'll eat anything else other than this. I can't. I'm, I'm just not that type of person that can go like same meal, same day, same thing. Right. I can't even do it. Well, I can't do it. I could do uh, cheesesteaks at Las Patas. I mean, I, I probably could do probably that do every, day, every day. But uh, I'm the person that wanders over to our little cantina over here. I'm like, all right, what do you guys got different? Yeah. What's the new menu item? What's the new thing every day? Do they have new stuff there? Yeah, every day. Every day? Every day. Something new. Every day. I new. go to the uh, online and order online. Yeah, so I stand in line with all the goofballs. You, you're missing out. There's a new sandwich and a new hot dish every day. Okay. I hate to be disloyal to Los Patas. You know what I got at Los Patas today along with my sandwich? Their bread. Oh, yeah? Got just, a bunch uh, of the rolls for my, for my... Did you tell them why? I did. Okay. Well, they said, well, I don't know what you're doing. You can't make Philly cheesesteaks. I said, look, I'm not trying to replicate what you're doing here, but I love them so much, and I got this new griddle at home, and I'm going to... That's You know, I've done it a couple of times uh, with hot, great success. Uh, except for the bread, because I could, you know, the bread I get to the grocery store, even the bakery bread at the yeah, grocery not store, the same. not the same at all. They, this bread, their bread comes from Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm surprised they even sold it to you. Like, Me, ah. uh, listen, they were very proud of it too. Yeah. It's like four four bucks a a, a, a roll. You might as well just bought uh, cheese steaks and scrape <laughs> yeah, the meat out of it. Well, as I, that is if they're still out on, on my. Um, um, Luggage on my motorcycle. That's where that's what they're currently stored. Oh, I hope there's not like thirty ro- ro- squirrels hanging on your motorcycle right now. Yeah. All right, uh, we will take our final break here um, and come back to wrap it up for you. It's the Shannon Burke Show on the Florida Man Radio Network. I'll be honest. The first few months were tough. When I left the military, I was excited for a fresh start, but civilian life has been harder than I thought it would be. Figuring out a new career while also being a good mom, wife, and friend. Some days I'm barely keeping my head above water. And with the transition and everything I'm juggling, I'm spread too thin. I finally realized that it's hurting my mental health. To get back to enjoying life again, I needed to get help. Opening up to someone was a big step for me. I I saw that I'm not alone and that there are tools to help me overcome what I'm going through. With support, I feel like I'm heading in the right direction. Discover how other women veterans like me have learned to thrive after military service by taking care of themselves and their mental health. Visit maketheconnection.net slash women veterans. Transgender uh, woman in Michigan, Brianna Kingsley, filed a small claims petition last year alleging her ex, William Wojciechowski, quote, retains possession of my surgically extracted testicles, preserved in a mason jar, and kept in the fridge next to the eggs. I remember this. This is the one that says that they're to the transgender Muslim. That's what? They're, they're transgender and they're Muslim oh, as yeah. well. <laughs> That's difficult. They demanded the immediate return of the human remains specimen in her handwritten affidavit and an additional $6,500 in damages, telling the judge, quote, we're talking about my nuts. I wanted them in my fridge, not his. 
The damages were the loss of these nuts. Wojciechowski, meanwhile, said he'd already tossed out the testicles and filed a counterclaim against for the same amount, claiming he'd been humiliated by coverage of the nutty case uh, by worldwide news outlets. But the judge, District Judge uh, Jeremy Bowie, denied both their claims, calling the whole matter, quote, a wash during a contentious, contentious hearing, adding that his decision uh, cannot be appealed. Yep. I already threw out D's. Yeah. These, these, <laughs> these, these nuts. nuts. The judge noted how hard it was to calculate potential damages. Uh, I can put a dollar amount on, say, if you were missing work at $16 an hour, but to t- as to testicles, I can't really put a number on it. He said, he had the chance to retrieve, uh, the judge said Kingsley had a chance to retrieve her testicles when an Oakland County Sheriff's deputy accompanied to her, to her former boyfriend's house uh, in January of last year. At the time, Kingsley had just gotten out of jail where she spent three days and was fined $100 for violating a personal protection order he had filed against her. Uh, they allowed a one-time visit with the sheriff's office in situations like that for people to go back and get their belongings. There's not any trouble going on. And she neglected. She failed to, the judge said, Miss Kingsley failed to retrieve her testicles from the refrigerator at that time. If they were so important to her, she had the opportunity to grab them, and she did it. Your Honor, uh, she kept leaving her testicles next to the pickled eggs, and I got tired of it. So Her boyfriend said, Your Honor, they're rotting in my fridge. I've got food in there. I wanted to eat. Uh, She didn't keep in a biohazard container like she was supposed to. (laughs) It was in a Hellman's mayonnaise jar. (laughs) Uh, That's it for us. Thank you, Easy. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, this audience. Thanks to Mr. Waller, T. Michael Waller. Get his book. Uh, Enjoy your weekend. We're back Monday, 3 Eastern, 2 Central. Bubba the Love Sponge. Starts things off on uh, this little network. Um, angry and um, pilled up like Elvis Presley. Don Miller after that. And we'll see you tomorrow. Oh, we'll see you Monday on the Florida Man Radio Network. I'm Shannon Burke. Have a great weekend.